0: On this episode, we learn eye patches aren't just for eyes. Kirk has seen some stuff. Uhura steals Spock's guitar. And Shakespeare never dies, even when the actors do. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie.
1: Welcome aboard. Take a station and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Seatbelts. This week, we'll be discussing the conscience of the king. Uh, this one is cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> a bit of a departure. Right. Uh, it was released December 8th, 1966. And this is,
0: what, is this the 14th, 14th episode of the first season? Uh, technically, it's episode 13. 13, okay. We 13. have the two-parter ah 11 and 12 and so gotcha all right and uh was written by barry trivers uh writer born in egypt um he started as a writer in the 1930s and he actually was wrote as an author um at the beginning of his career short stories and such uh he became a screenplay writer in 1935 And then a television writer in 1956. Um, His last credited IMDb credit was actually an episode of Kojak back in 1976. Uh, There's a lot of stuff across his IMDb, to be honest with you. And I didn't recognize hardly any of it. Lots of movies from the fifties. The only thing that really stuck out to me that I was like, I know I've seen that was uh, flying tigers, the John Wayne film. Uh, But there's a great one. (laughs) Um, Barry Travers uh, wrote a lot of action and detective scripts did things like Manx have gun will travel the fugitive so this particular episode is gonna, kind of kind be of being his wheelhouse because this is an odd episode of Star Trek in that it doesn't nec- the story didn't necessarily need to be in Star Trek it's it has n- nothing really to do with science fiction they put it in that setting but the story is a very human story um, yeah we probably could have not had it on Star Trek, and that would have been okay, too. <laughs> uh, Trivers did win a uh, Writer's Guild Award for his work on the 1962 TV series, The Naked City, and unfortunately, he passed away in 1981. Ooh, um, wow. Well, I the, guess, oh, he's only 51. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's oh, no, wait, writing. right. Oh, okay, yeah. He started
1: writing in 1930. That's not when he was born. So he was probably <laughs> born a little earlier than that. I'm gonna guess.
0: <laughs> nah, he was he was a pro he was a, proto- he, was a proto- he was like <laughs> just right out of the. Um, so, where,
1: uh, where, can I get a piece of paper?
0: Yeah. Oh God, I've got to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, this episode was directed by Greg Oswald, a man born in uh, Berlin. Berlin, Germany, pardon me. Uh, he was a director of both TV and movies. Um, we know how much Star Trek really liked to borrow stuff from Outer Limits. Oswald was one of those things as he directed 14 episodes of The uh, Outer Limits back in the 1960s. Um, he did 10 episodes of Danza. He did 16 episodes of Gentle Ben. He was all over his IMDb. Um, one article claims that he also directed a number of scenes from the movie the longest day about uh, about D day but almost all of them were stricken from the film except for the aerial shots of guys parachuting down and he was never credited for the work.
1: Huh. I wonder why that happened. Yeah, that's, that's one of those that's
0: why you don't make people mad. <laughs> <laughs> right? He will that that's a movie I'll have to look deeper into because I think a couple of people actually I, I think that had a numerous directors on that film. It's a yeah, it's day a is, very it's a very conglomerate, way. yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a great movie, though. Yeah, um, Oswald will actually trek again in season two with the alternative factor. Boy, guy, <laughs> and his last two credits were two episodes of the Twilight, the nineteen eighty five Twilight Zone. Ooh, that's pretty cool. I think yeah. I'm the only person who actually liked that. But <laughs> I, I,
1: I was a big fan of uh, the '60s Twilight Zone, so uh, the. Nineteen eighty five, Twilight Zone, I was all I was so there for it. And I recognized that it was not good, but I still loved it.
0: <laughs> I have to go back and watch it. I saw some of the episodes, but there are a lot of them I missed. And I have friends who really enjoyed the show, so I need to go back and actually do some watching.
1: Yeah, it's really sad. Um if I'm being honest, Creep Show was better than
0: Twilight Zone in the eighties. <laughs> it's just a the the
1: they nailed the vibe better, I think.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Creep show had Had some good people working
1: on it. Right. So the basic concept of this episode is Jim Kirk confronts his past when he investigates the lead of a traveling Shakespearean company who may or may not be a notorious criminal responsible for the death of thousands. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Hitler does Shakespeare. (laughs) I just... I, I love the concept that you're sitting in the audience and you're you know, watching a, a show and you're like, you know, is it just me or does Romeo look like he's got a tiny mustache? <laughs> I, I don't know. He's he's kinda got that that
0: scary glint in his eye. I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't <clears> remember <throat> Deutschland Uber Alice being in Greece. I, I, <laughs> this is a really weird rendition, but you know.
1: <laughs> when you're watching the producers and you are like this hitler's real good
0: <laughs> okay maybe a bit too That's- good uh, yeah uh,
1: we're gonna just stop there
0: <laughs> so
1: this episode was among the lowest in ratings during the first season mainly due to the fact that it's terrible okay I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of this episode, (laughs) mainly due to the fact that people thought it was too talky. There was no action. They didn't have any monsters or sci-fi stuff. So nobody repeated it. They were like, no, we're done with this one. Just leave it in the box. It's fine. (laughs) And you know what? I can't really complain about that. (laughs) Um, Now in, in all fairness though, there are many episodes that are talky, no monsters. Sci-fi is just kind of taking a back seat. And they are still good. This, I don't believe is one of them because this one makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
0: Yeah, it has some cringy things in it. That's for sure.
1: Right. And as much as I dislike it, it turns out Ronald D. Moore of uh, BSG TNG fame is, uh, (laughs) this is apparently one of his favorite episodes of the original series. Yeah, that Um, took me
0: by surprise.
1: Yeah, I of all the things that I was expecting to hear about this episode, it was not that it was somebody's favorite, <laughs> especially a writer. I, I like and respect, right? Anyway.
0: So though, I, I read- will say this, Ronald Moore did really like it. Absolutely. No weird from Shakespeare on how he felt about it. <laughs> I could find nothing looked everywhere. Well, uh, you can't see it,
1: but he was rolling in his grave. <laughs> um, So I read a a report that originally this was supposed to to open on a scene that made you realize you were watching a play. Yes. That, you know, uh, Kirk is sitting there watching the play and you realize what you're watching at the same time. And the director was like, you know, I got a better idea. And he decided to open instead on a dagger stabbing down, which, <laughs> hey man, they had me. It was pretty good. I was I was pretty excited about that. Um, and then I was done being excited.
0: <laughs> it was a it was an odd cold open because they go through the stabbing and then the actor stands and and considers for some time, and you're really kind of wondering, did did I hit the right channel here? Is this right? the music kind of gives it away well that's because all the music in this entire episode
1: appears to be the theme song done in different styles (laughs) there is a point when it actually is that but at the beginning i was like is it well
0: no maybe i don't know it just (laughs) i totally missed it until i did my research and i had to go back and rewatch it to hear it oh yeah oh wow okay (laughs)
1: So I I do think that this episode would have been better if uh, all the Shakespeare was done in the original Klingon. Just saying,
0: <laughs> they tried that and it was it got even worse ratings. Yeah, right. <laughs> what they didn't think was possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is as I'm alluding to. This is where we start leaning into
0: Shakespeare. Uh, it, for, is, for anyone, is, is is that a dagger I see before me? <laughs> is that that looks like a dagger. I I do believe so. <laughs> um. I, you know, it's
1: for anybody who's a fan, you know, that Star Trek has lots of Shakespeare, every series, every movie franchise, they always lean into
0: Shakespeare. This is the birth of that. So, yay! which kind of makes sense because I mean, it's going to carry a different tone. If the beginning of this episode is a guy telling Jim Kirk, watch Rum Tum Tugger, watch him. Yeah, right. I'm sure he killed thousands of people. It doesn't have the same heft.
1: Yeah. So we get to see that Jim is actually watching TV or watching a uh, watching TV. The Jim is actually watching a theater performance and his buddy's sitting next to him. He's like, Hey, you see that guy? That that guy who's the lead. He's a bad dude. Keep an eye on him. (laughs) Now the way he says this line though, I'm like, keep an eye on him. I mean, he's the main character. Of course I'm going (laughs) to watch it. What do you mean? Keep an eye on him. And then he's like, you know, he's evil. And you're like, oh, 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 you mean like actually like keep an eye on that guy.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought I was coming here to see a great performance. And instead, now, now Jim, Jim, first of all, tells his buddy, is like, so this is intres- interesting, Arcturian Macbeth. And so what makes this Arcturian? It turns out it's just the clothes.
1: Um, so... <clears throat> I, I did a deep dive on this, but first I'll say that the only thing about this that makes it Arcturian is the fact that they're wearing bright, flowy robes. <laughs> that apparently is the Arcturian <laughs> style, at least according to the TOS run book back then. So I started looking up Arcturians, and according to the uh, to, according to canon, they're kind of weird. Um, so if you've ever if you've never seen them, look them up. They're basically They look like clay face. They've just got like this like runny, drippy face makeup. It's real weird. It makes no sense. But if you look at multiple versions of them, they all have exactly the same drips. They've all been made from the same mold. And they explain this away because it turns out the Arcturians are actually a race of clones. The entire planet. A hundred billion people on one planet. And they're all clones of each other. So they're all identical. The only way they can be told apart is by their clothing and uniforms. <laughs> Hence, Arcturian <laughs> clothing being very bright and vivid and flowy and everything. And it also turns out because they have a hundred billion people, uh, the Federation's infantry is actually made up of Arcturians because they can raise twenty billion people in no time flat. And so the Federation's like, "There's, there's a good idea. We're going to use that."
0: So you're telling me that Emperor Palpatine. In Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. was actually ripping off something he saw in Star Trek. I think so. I think it actually is the
1: case because this is the original clone army. Wow! Now, I did read about this on like Memory Alpha, Memory Beta, and <laughs> a couple books. It is completely possible that there's a little bit of two way stealing going on, but who knows? <laughs> Now, uh, it turns out also, though, that part of canon is that the Arcturians just also really dig Shakespeare. And so they put on a lot of Shakespearean plays, which I think would be really weird if all the actors in a Shakespearean play all (laughs) looked exactly the same and just had different costumes. You're like, oh, he's wearing a shirt that says Macbeth on it. That must be (laughs) Macbeth. So anyway,
0: (laughs) I'm thinking there was also this is going off on a tangent here, but there was an episode of the horrible Buck Rogers with Gil Gerard in which this entire race of planet, everyone wore masks. And at the very end they pulled off the mask to find out we were all clones. We all look alike. So we have to wear these different colored masks so we can tell which one is which.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they stole that from this too. Interesting. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so finally we get to find out why this dude is like, you should watch this guy because he's like, hey, you know what his name is? That's Kodos, the executioner.
0: Dun, dun, dun. And they cut to commercial there. Now, I'm going to say this. I kind of like this. I kind of like leaving the thing of like, since you add the executioner to a guy's name, you know he's obviously a bad guy. Yeah, But you don't tell us anything else. You just kind of give us that and go to commercial. Okay. I'm going to say this right now. That's one of the things that bugs me the
1: most about this, this whole episode. They name drop incessantly and like, <laughs> they just talk about stuff. Like you're supposed to know what's going on. And I'm like, I have no idea what you people are talking about. Cause nobody's ever mentioned this before. <laughs> it It left me on several occasions, just feeling like, you took all the drama out of this situation because you didn't tell me anything. And I was like, I just don't care about Kodos. Who cares?
0: (laughs) Whatever. He's some dude. I actually feel the opposite. I liked it because they trickled it out and kind of piqued the curiosity as, as far as what was actually going on. They didn't do a huge exposition dump. They kind of trickled it slowly to kind of bring you in until we get the, until we get the full story. Um, so I, I kind of like doing that. that thing. Oh, one thing uh, I did want to point out in that opening scene, we see the dagger, mm-hmm. we see the dagger go down. We see it killed King Duncan. Cause this is Macbeth. Right. Just want to point out the flash that we have of the actor playing, uh, uh, Duncan. That's the guy, uh, the actor who played his name is Carl Brooke, but he played the mercantile Schirmerhorn in paint your wagon.
1: Ooh, my favorite musical. Well, not my very favorite musical, but pretty up there. Yeah, it, mine as well. That's some good stuff. Um, all right, if we're going to drop random facts, uh, Kodos happens to be the name of one half of the alien duo, the one-eyed <laughs> squid guys on uh, uh, The Simpsons. Uh, his, his buddy is... Uh, is it Kronos? Nah, uh, King and Kodos. K- uh, Kang, that's it, yeah. So Kodos is... Uh, um, 100% spelled the same way, so I'm pretty sure
0: that those Simpsons guys might like Star Trek. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah, because I always thought that was an odd thing. It's like, okay, you picked a Klingon and a Shakespearean actor as your Right? <laughs> General Kang.
1: <Thank King>. <laughs> anyway, so oh, General Kang. Is, is it General Kang the one who says the line about Shakespeare? Uh,
0: Chang. Dang, you're right. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing changes when you think about it that way. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying. I was not doing that. <laughs> just so we're clear. I didn't
0: even remember. Might have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the enterprise is diverted off of their uh their normal course which whatever that is um to go to planet q now we don't hear the name of the planet till spock mentions it way down the way but this is planet q which is just basically looks like a big rock from space um and just so we're clear this has nothing to do with john delancey I know. Nothing. I thought it was just an odd, odd crossing thing. <laughs> right. So Kirk says, okay, well we came here because Thomas Layton is this great scientist, dude, I know. And he said he came up with this great new food concentrate. That's going to help a nearby call earth colony uh, with their famine problem, which can we discuss yeah. famine in the galaxy at this point?
1: Yeah. It, th- that really pissed me off because the whole point of star Trek is there's no more famine that's the whole
0: premise so here's here's because this will come up again in uh uh, trouble of triples the thing of famine yep so this is the question i have at this point in when we get to next generation we know they can just say hey make me a cup of coffee and it makes a cup of coffee and everything's there Mm -hmm. at this point are the replicators able to do that Or is all the coffee that's being used being stored in the pattern buffer? And so you have to load up that pattern buffer. And once you empty that pattern buffer, everything's gone. I don't know.
1: I mean, I saw a guy get a steaming hot like, (laughs) turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. And that wasn't Thanksgiving. I forget what it was. Anyway, but it was a steaming hot plate of food. So you're telling me that they have hot food stored in the pattern buffer waiting to be delivered oh yeah
0: just like a microwave you can excite the molecules within the food
1: i don't know i
0: still think it was a replicator (laughs) i I just ah okay i don't know i mean and i'm here's the thing i'm not coming up with that theory myself that's a theory that exists in the novels and stuff so i'm i'm that oh so you're just Um,
1: grandstanding that's what you're doing i
0: see that. because i just i remember one particular diane duane and one particular book talking about how much coffee they could actually keep in the pattern buffer and actually keeping some coffee outside of the pattern buffer because it tasted better but that was going to be coffee that was going to get used like much faster Hmm. but again that's all it's an
1: interesting idea. It would explain why Kirk has to deliver so much grain. Cause it seems like he has a lot of grain they, missions. They do a
0: lot of grain. Yeah. A lot of grain. Yeah. In Federation.
1: So for some reason, Jim's in a bad mood. I, I'm not really sure what the deal is. He spends like the entire episode in a real bad mood. Um, the, the, the very beginning yes. of the episode, it, we kind of get it, but like, it's going to continue and it's just weird. <laughs> Honestly, it, it was bad enough that I was starting to wonder if maybe uh, Shatner
0: was just having a bad day because it just, everything was like, <laughs> yeah. It, and it's, yeah, it seems as we go through this of how much the pains he goes through to like, keep a lot of the things going on from Spock and McCoy, which make absolutely no sense whatsoever, right. but we'll, we'll get into that. So he's at Leighton's
1: house on the planet. And Layton is talking to him, and he's kind of laying into them. He's like, "Listen, dude, you told me you were bringing me here for this food alternative you got, and you don't have it." And Layton's like, Hee-hee. "I'm so sneaky, aren't
0: I? Because <laughs> <laughs> I did it to trap Kodos. Because yeah. that dude, he's Kodos. I'm telling you, the dude is Kodos." Kirk's like, <laughs> "Jim's, Jim's main thing is like, how am I going to cover my butt on this? Well, first of all," okay you you diverted did you just divert jim did you just decide to do this did you cover count this with anybody did thomas layton just call you up and just said ah send the ship over there ah we're friends we met in a bar it's great (laughs) i'll I'll be right there jim seems really 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 preoccupied on what he's going to enter in his log and how he's going to cover his butt the thing is
1: is so if we're really patterning 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 if this is really patterned off of the U S Navy, which it generally is. This is the equivalent of somebody's in an aircraft carrier and just was like, my buddy over in Guam wanted some help. <laughs> so I went to Guam and didn't tell anybody at Naval command. He was just like, I'm going to go and I'm going to take everybody with me. That's cool.
0: Cause the thing is when they ask me, why'd you go there? I'm going to say, Hey, check out the new cool food concentrate. My buddy found. Right. That's not going to happen.
1: (laughs) Uh, Go to Guam for nothing. All right. (laughs) Now that said, Kirk's "I'm really angry with you" comes off a whole lot more like, "Now, Billy, you're going to need to apologize, aren't you?" (laughs) It's so weird. So Thomas Layton is the doctor. Um, He's the he he, um, is the doctor who's got the eye patch. We saw him at the very beginning. Uh, he's played by William Sargent. Uh, he is another uh, Berliner. Uh, he was born as Wolf Jakubowicz in Berlin in wow. 1930. Uh, his family fled the Nazis in 1933. He, they went to Palestine. Uh, and They ended up moving to the US in 1947, where he was a couple years later drafted to go to Korea. Uh, by this time, he had changed his name to William Jacobs. He spent all of 1952 on the front in Korea. Then he came back to New York and he started studying theater under the GI bill. Um, He ended up getting an agent after he got out of school and his agent was like, you know what? I know your name's Wolf and Jakubovic. And I know you go by, you know, William Jacobs, but man, that's just, (laughs) that's too foreign. Let's go with William (laughs) Sargent. So, he doesn't have a huge resume. There's not really a whole lot there, but one interesting thing that I did find on this that was a little bit of a strange deep dive. He was in the the um, documentary Hitler, which, for the record, is Hitler exclamation point. <laughs> if,
0: um, you're, if you're looking for it on IMDb, right? Make sure, make
1: sure you got the right one. And. I I have to admit, I saw that cover where, cause it's got, it's, it's that classic, like there's four scenes on the cover and then it says Hitler exclamation point right in the middle. And I was like, is this like a musical or a comedy or something? Cause it kind of looks like it. And then you read the description, you're like, Oh no, this is a serious documentary. That's weird. Anyway. So he, he played a, a Lieutenant Colonel in the movie. Uh, the name doesn't really matter. It it's a movie. Nobody really got a whole lot of acclaim for. <laughs> um, but what I did find interesting is that also in the movie was John Banner. And some of you may know that John Banner is our, one of my favorite people. Uh, he played Sergeant Schultz in uh, Hogan's heroes. Now it's awesome. I found, I, so I I went down a rabbit hole on, on John Banner. It's kind of interesting. So John Banner and incidentally, um, I forget his name, uh, the actor who played Colonel Klink, Werner Klemperer, who played oh, uh, yes. Colonel Klink uh, as well. So they were both uh, Jews who were born in Germany and had to escape the Nazis, and they came to the U.S. Both became actors, both ended up uh, playing largely Nazis, and they, when interviewed, they both were like, "Listen." If there's one thing I can do, I can portray them as buffoons. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, they actually ended up making a living for the most part because of their accents. They made a living playing Nazis in lots and lots of serious roles.
0: Wow. I did not realize that.
1: Yeah. They made their career off of playing these characters that they had uh, run from. And saddest of all, John Banner's entire family was actually killed in the Holocaust. Oh, all of his God. siblings, his parents, all of his relatives, everybody. So he was completely alone after all this. And he still ended up having to make his living playing a Nazi. I, I just found it very, very interesting that, that uh, all of these folks ended up having to do this to, to make a living at that time. Quite honestly, because they had the accent and people were just hungry to find out what happened
0: yeah and i mean it it uh it plays into because one of the uh the famous things that's kind of a irony in star trek is in patterns of force uh nimoy and shatner two jewish men are dressing up as nazis and it's one of those things of like how did that feel what what you know right what's what's the mental process that go, that goes on there but again I, they were I doing so can't in even such imagine. way to undermine the, right the thing so uh well, and very on top of
1: that, I'm sure it's a very different thing for, uh, someone who grew up Jewish in America versus someone who grew up Jewish, you know, in 1930 in oh, Austria Berlin. Oh, or yes. Berlin, yes. you know, yeah, that, I, I can't even imagine what that, that's gotta be. I, I do not have the capacity to understand that experience. I would have to Maybe. say myself as well. Yes. Anyway, moving on to something less <laughs> Heart-wrenching. So Kirk's like, hey, uh, Leighton, Kodis is dead, all right?
0: (laughs) He's totally dead. And when when Jim tells us this now, up until this time, we've only seen the camera show Leighton from the right side. Uh, in profile. So as he begins to turn and tells Kirk, no, I know it's Kodos because I remember the bloody thing he did. And as he turns, you can see that the left third of Leighton's head, including his left eye are covered in black felt, which makes me assume that Kodos was responsible for some horrible crafting accident. And we're (laughs) going to learn about later. It's not a crafting accident. He
1: has a Muppet skin head patch. <laughs> I, I got a skin craft. <laughs> <puppet. laughs> the end of the day, that's the whole thing about planet Q. It's like <laughs> Avenue Q. It's entirely peopled with Muppets. <laughs> okay. I didn't even plan that one. It just kind of rolled it off. Just the just <laughs> <right in> it. <laughs> so Jim's like, uh, he looks to Leighton's wife and he's like, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about here. Right. And she's like, Hey, listen, there's actors here. He's not
0: okay with that. <laughs> yeah. He's been acting weird since the actor showed up, which is just like, okay, there's all sorts of different ways you could go with a joke in there, but I'm right. just not going to. <laughs>
1: so his wife is Martha. Um, which is a, a man. You can't get much better. 60s name than Martha. <laughs> Superman, Batman, Tom right? Satan. <laughs> so weirdly this is actually sergeant's real life wife real life wife natalie norwick
0: yes i thought uh, this was interesting
1: yeah right uh she was a guest actor in a whole bunch of tv shows uh including the monster of moon ridge an episode <laughs> of have Gun will travel written by none other than gene roddenberry ah. which maybe what i've seen that this episode was written by uh, Barry Trivers, who wrote a bunch of episodes of Have Gun and Will Travel. I'm wondering, Yeah, did Gene actually write that episode?
0: <laughs> <Okay>. Sorry, <laughs> that was just me. <laughs> so Leighton starts to, as we said, we've seen the head patch now. And Leighton begs Kirk and tells him, you know, hey, there's only a handful of us still alive that could actually ID Kodos positively. And Kirk is still like, no, dude, this, you're, you're diving into conspiracy theories here. Kodos is dead. Uh, yeah. And despite all of this, no, I do want to point out also just like, while Leighton is doing this, I could not keep my, yeah, I, your eye should be drawn to the head patch. Yeah. but yeah, honestly, honestly, his ascot was just beautiful. I, um,
1: wow. I mean, he's got to wear something to
0: draw away from the giant head patch. I'm, I'm really glad in the 23rd century ascots are going to become a thing again because we're we're <laughs> going to see them a few times in in Star Trek. So I'm glad after do, World War III that fashion started to come back. Do you think before Kurt came over, he was
1: standing in front of the mirror and he's like, "Hey Martha, does can you still wear tell I have the
0: head patch? Like, is this <laughs> is the ascot big enough? Does it does it distract? To draw the eye, draw the the thing is when I turn around in front of the mirror and then jump and turn around, the first thing that I see, it's still the, it's still the <laughs> head patch. I mean, it's in front of one of my eyes. So of course it's the first thing I see. <laughs> All right, now we're making fun of his head patch. <laughs> uh, so Kirk tells him, A, the guy's dead and Layton says, well, I invited the dude for cocktails this evening. So I'm going to find out for sure.
1: Yeah. Right. Cause nothing says. I know this guy's a mass murderer better than would you like a drink?
0: <laughs> now, if it were in today's television, they would have had a cork board in the back with a picture of Kodos in the middle. And then yarn going to all these various papers and pictures right. and everything like that. That's, you know, he, he did kind of come off
1: a little conspiracy theory. It's just too bad. So Kirk's like, you know what? I'm out. I, I I don't want any part of this. And so he gets up and he takes off and so we go back to the ship. So Jim's in the briefing room doing some, uh, some research and he's, he pushes a button and library computer.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. What, I, what was I, the deal they to try to keep people from using computers too much? They gave it like the most annoying voice possible. Right? They're like, listen, we don't have a lot of horsepower here. So we want people to just be like, oh, I'm not dealing with that anymore. Would you rather do do this yourself or listen to that horrible, horrible voice come through those tinny little speakers? Exactly.
1: Uh, you know what? I'm just going to get my slide rule. <laughs> now it's starting to really make sense why Spock's always carrying around that little flight computer. Oh, He's like, I don't want let, to let this thing do anything. I don't want to <laughs> hear it. Especially with his ears right not enough noise going as it is <laughs> i don't know so he he asked the computer to give him the history of uh, kodos and it's like it talks about how earth forces arrived at the earth colony and there was an earth body found <laughs> like i'm just going to go out on a limb i don't know if it's really true or not but i'm going to
0: guess they're all from earth <laughs> <laughs> This is one of those things with uh, having an AI that has a certain bias, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. You've made this thing in, in earth and basically the computer is just like, well, or Ur- earthlings are the only ones who do anything. I mean, you know,
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, I understand that you are not a...
0: Spock, the half blood. <laughs> <like>, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, Vulcans might do something in the galaxy. Frankly, we don't know. And, and we don't care. Right. <laughs>
1: No, I'm still, I'm still thrown aback by the, uh, the menagerie and that freaking, uh, general order seven talking about how half Vulcan officer Spock, like <laughs> it's so racist. Leave the man alone. Anyway. <laughs> so when he got there, he declared martial law and they started running out of food or because they started running out of food for all the settlers. And so he decides he's going to kill half the population. Now,
0: something really interesting on this is that there's an episode of Enterprise in which the um, merry Universe Enterprise people go and get their hands on the Defiant, not the Uh Deep Space Nine Defiant, the Constitution Class Defiant, which through the Tholian Web got pushed over their thing. And they go through and they read a bunch of the history. In one of the pads, there's actually mentioned that Hoshi Sato was one of the people killed um, on Tarsus IV, in the Tarsus IV massacre. However, an interview later with one of the producers said that we put that on there thinking that nobody would ever be able to read that. So we don't want to establish that as canon. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it's Hoshi. You can't kill Hoshi. That's not okay. (laughs) She would have been what? About 115 at that point? Uh, Well, it's 20 years before this.
1: So, no, she'd have been in her 80s, I think. Okay. All right. Eh,
0: I mean, still not
1: cool. Don't kill Hoshi.
0: (laughs) I was trying to figure out with all of her talent, it's like, why would she be one of the people that's killed? Because as we find out later... There's a selection process, but if she was old, maybe, yeah, we'll get into that later. Maybe she's just not good at at translating anymore. (laughs) Anyway, I have a feeling that basically she was
1: was just basically a pain in the ass. I'm sure she was. I mean, she kind (laughs) of was on the show, too. (laughs) I don't know. So he's like, all right, now uh, show me the actor. Let's see if that's the same guy. And the computer's like, okay. And so he sits around and waits for a while, has lunch as
0: it starts pulling up files. Now, oh, I swear it's so slow. I love the fact that it still makes a bunch of like a, a sound as if the hard drive is going just so you know the thing is still working. Well, so I think that's actually kind of funny about the computers on this show because
1: they make all these like clicking and grinding noises, which I think the The producers at the time were looking at it as that's the sound of like microfiche moving around and stuff. and you're right. it sounds more like grinding hard drives that we think of. And so I think they were actually ahead of their time on which sound effects they were using. It just happened to kind of line up.
0: I don't know. It's kind of weird. One thing anyway. I, one thing I did notice uh, the last time I watched it was he puts the two pictures up, and one is of Kodos. Back at the at the thing, and then the other one is of Caridian. The picture of Kodos kind of looks like Louis C.K. A little bit, yeah. That is a little weird.
1: <laughs> I I did find that this was an interesting scene because so we're we're in a, we're in the '60s, right? There's no concept of voice commands, right? Like it, nobody's got anything that's really got voice commands, and so the the writers are like we got to come up with these voice commands that he's going to be using with this stupid computer. So he goes, picture Kodos. And then it puts up a photo of Kodos and he goes, picture Caridian. And it puts up a picture of Caridian. Then he says, picture both. And it puts up a picture of them side by side. And it sounds so dumb the way he's saying it. But the more I watched it, the more I was like, you know, that's pretty good for the time. Actually, like these guys kind of figured out how how you should communicate with the computer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it is one of those things. Is this a, is this a chicken and the egg type thing? Did, did Star Trek inspire the technology or was the technology on its, you know, already on its way. And they had people who knew about that or what, what the deal is with what, but it is one of those things like cell phones and communicators, um, pads, It is one of those things that we see it in Star Trek and eventually we see it in our own life.
1: I'm sure it's just one of those things where it sparks imagination
0: and people go, wait a minute, that's a great idea. And I love the fact that you had to shut off your Alexa to do this particular segment of the show for that very reason. That is pretty funny. (laughs) Anyway, so Spock walks in and Kirk looks
1: like he's (laughs) watching porn.
0: I, well, well, one of the things that strikes me is that when the computer goes through the whole thing and starts bringing up a, a Critian's life, it mentions that Critian has a 19 year old daughter, and Kirk immediately says, "Stop." Yeah, but he goes on and asks it more about Critian because when he says stop that quickly, you are sure he's going to ask about the daughter.
1: Oh yeah. So let's put a pin in that. She's <laughs> 19. That will be very important for our podcast. So Spock walks in, Kirk turns around. He's like, oh, oh, I'm not looking at anything. Spock's like, hey, do you know anything about Leighton? Kirk's like, oh, (sighs) or no, Kirk says that. Excuse me. He just like, he looks so relieved.
0: (laughs) Don't pay attention what I was watching on that screen. Do not pay attention what i was seeing on that screen. (laughs)
1: So Spock's like, hey, can we like uh, get out of here? And Kirk's like, well, you know, they're having a party. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, now nah, we're going to stay in orbit. I'm going back down. <laughs> right. And Spock's like, Hey,
1: I think it's time for us to leave. We, we did what we said we were going to do. And Kirk's like, no.
0: And he's like super hostile to him. It's so weird. Yeah, this is this starts at the beginning. Now I can understand okay, he's this stuff is dredging up stuff from his childhood, it's traumatic, but the fact that he just starts right off the bat of being a jerk to Spock. Yeah. It's just bizarre. And it's it, just it, gonna get worse. Yes. Yes. And there's no real explanation for it. Nope. So <laughs> with nothing else going on, let's head down to the party. Oh yeah. man, it's a twenty third century cocktail party. I want to go to there. Uh, listen,
1: twenty third century, but sixties. We're talking mid century modern oh, all the way.
0: Yes, I oh, love, man. I love sixties mod, and this house reeks of it. the The orange shag carpeting, the matching velour chairs. Uh, it the is sliding awesome. glass door, awesome.
1: Which awesome. not necessarily a sixties thing, but in this context, amazing. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love it so much.
1: Now this is the point where if you listen, you can hear the theme song. I can't quite tell if it's supposed to be jazz or bossa Nova, but it is absolutely a remix of the theme song. If you yes. listen, it's it's spot on. It's so, I, I
0: still want to get a recording of this. There's gotta be one out right? there
1: somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> so Kirk's la- Kirk walks through the glass door and he's like, Hey Martha, what's going on? Uh, where's your boy, uh, Layton at? And she's like, Oh, he went into town. Uh, I don't know if he'll be back anytime soon. He's like, well, yeah, but have, have you talked to him? She's like, well, no, of course not. He went into town.
0: Duh. I said Which the Kirk. line. <laughs> Which Kirk is going to like, well, it's news to me that this planet has a town to begin with. And right. He's
1: like, why- well, what the hell am I doing here for? <laughs> and,
0: and my question is, so you invite all these people here because you're going to trap this, this guy you suspect of this. But you know what? We're out of ice. Yeah exactly. <laughs>
1: Honey, there's no more space gin. What are we gonna do? <laughs> so I, I do want to point out that while he's talking to her, if you look out the window behind Kirk, you will see Mojave, California. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the it's the painted backdrop that they used for the Mojave scene of the Cage. When uh, Christopher Pike is in the fever dream with Vina and hanging out with his good buddy Tango the horse
0: <laughs> in his uh, tough skin suit,
1: right? So uh, they they reused it for this. Um, also, the window itself is actually reused from where no man has gone before. Also. That's
0: awesome. That is so awesome. Um,
1: yeah, it was one of the, it was a planet side building that they were using that window
0: for. <laughs> So now comes the point where Lenore, the 19 year old daughter of uh, Caridian uh, shows up at the party um, and she's wearing her, her hair is high. She's wearing this kind of blue gown, but it kind of has the look where you can't quite tell if she's going to Comic-Con or the Met Gala.
1: Yeah, it, it was a little bit, um, not quite icky, but pretty close. <laughs>
0: I don't know. And it will get so much more ickier. <laughs> right.
1: So Lenore's played by Barbara Anderson. Uh, she was a beauty queen from Memphis who decided to move to LA and become a star. Uh, by beauty queen in Memphis, I mean she actually was apparently well known around town as uh somebody who was uh, a beauty pageant winner uh consistently. Oh wow. Did know that. Um, so much so that she decided I can do this professionally. And so she moved to LA. <laughs> Uh, she didn't have a whole lot until she hit up Ironsides. Uh, once she got to Ironsides, she ended up with 105 episodes of that as a series regular.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: unfortunately she got into a contract dispute, fortunately around the same time decided to get married. So used that as an excuse and left the show, um, which, you know, Interestingly enough, she got the last laugh because she's actually the last living member of the Ironsides cast. That is bizarre. (laughs) Um, And she also won an Emmy for it in
0: 1967. So awesome. Um, So she was also born in Brooklyn. Um, She married Don Burnett, a television actor um, who was best known for his work on the Northwest Passage. And uh, according to the information, they're still married today. So good on them. Right. Um, she continued to work in TV and uh, for the next couple of decades and even appeared in an episode of Simon and Simon. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do love me some Simon and
1: Simon.
2: <laughs> Her Gerald McCraney,
1: ep- nobody can hold a candle to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you ever watched Longmire? Uh, I think I watched an episode of it. I haven't watched it
0: much, but he's no. excellent in that. He is such a bad uh, guy. Yeah? <laughs> Man, um, I,
1: I like his acting so much that I would probably hate that guy's guts if I met him. And <laughs> I, I, I'm sad that I feel that way because it's it's just one of those that I am I really, really like him and always have. So he's either an amazing person or like, oh, man, don't meet your heroes.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, Barbara Anderson, uh, her last credit actually would be going back to The Return of Ironside. Um, and I believe it was early nice. 90s. They did a television movie. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. for oh, Talk about me. a cash grab. Jeez
1: Louise. Like anybody <laughs> in the 90s was like, you know what I miss? Ironside.
0: <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Barbara Anderson is Lenore and she walks in the door and Jim's grin gets very, very big, very, very fast. And you know what? So does hers. It's yeah. like they're falling in something at first sight.
1: Yeah. I don't like these two. I <laughs> This is not a good look for either one of them. <laughs>
0: this is that like couple know. you never you're you're fine when they're apart from each other but you never want to be around them when they're together. Right? Yeah. That's the yeah.
1: <laughs> so she sits down and she she commits a faux pas that I'm sorry, I've never fallen for. She sits down and she grabs his drink and takes it away from him
0: to drink herself, to which I think, "Hey, that's mine." <laughs> <laughs> and Jim's line is, "Why not?" Which I'm thinking, Because the drinking age on this planet is still 21, Jim. That's why not? (laughs) She's again 19. (laughs) So Jim goes all, you know, oh, I love that. I loved you in that thing you did. Um, And uh, oh, and by the way, it's Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. This is really gross because this is really watching somebody obviously on the prowl. yeah, totally. Yeah. They're not subtle.
1: (laughs) Well, you want to talk about not subtle. She's like, Oh, I think you're so great. You're captain. It's so awesome. And he's like, yeah, I am. Hey, is your dad coming?
0: (laughs) 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 And when she says no, his very next line is, so what's your next move? Ew. Yes, because obviously she gets the innuendo as she lingers and looks at him and they both are just being icky.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, so I, there have been episodes where Shatner's flirtatiousness is cool and works out. And you're like, this is useful is it- to this scene and everything. This is not one of them. This just makes me want to be like, dude, you're not allowed on this planet
0: anymore. <laughs> Is it because they're doing Shakespeare? But it seems that everything is just slightly over the top on this. Yeah, just just not not hugely, but just slightly over the top. Well, that'll become even more evident
1: once we start putting all of the Shakespeareans together with all of the Star Trekians. <laughs> so uh, Lenore is like, you know, we're we're going to be traveling soon. We're going to get back on the Astro Queen and we're going to take off and go. Again, name dropping—not really an explanation. You're like, <laughs> should I know what the astral queen is? I don't know. But turns out Ronald D. Moore, who again loved this episode, he also was one of the showrunners or one of the creators. Excuse me for uh, the new BSG. Um, I'm sorry, the new Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> And, uh, during the, the run of that show there, one of the sh- ships in the armada was a prison ship and he named it the astral queen.
0: And I'm so glad you found that because when I watched this episode, it bugged me like crazy that I was like, I know that ship name from right? something. And I just, it, cannot. it was clanking around
1: in my brain for some reason. Yeah. Like now, now I know why I, I still, the fact that he loves this episode, I cannot believe that he wrote such good stuff on TNG and DS nine <laughs> because. woof. Anyway, so Kirk is like, well, I'm going to try one more time.
0: <laughs> so, hey, yeah,
1: Kirk, you want to meet me outside? <laughs> hey, we're not doing walk. anything right now. Right. <laughs> we're just at a party waiting for my friend to get back and he's mysteriously vanished. And <laughs> That's not weird at all. Plus, we're also waiting for the mass murderer who's kind of your dad. So, hey, you want to like, I don't know, go neck or something? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll go, tell, I'll go tell our hostess that we're leaving, which I thought to yeah. myself, it's like, you tell your hostess, it's like, I'm sorry, if that were Ben Cisco, that would have been an Irish exit. You know, we're oh, out. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, here's a breakdown of the sequence that we've had here. Hi, I'm Jim Kirk. I really wanted to meet your dad. Lenore says, my dad never shows up at these things. And Kirk says, oh, really? So you want to get out of here? <laughs> she... Is nineteen exactly? But
1: we've talked about this before. It's the '60s. That's apparently okay. We know that he's somewhere between 30 and 50 because they they act like he's in his 30s. And I mean, as an as a person, Shatner is still in his mid to late 30s at this point. And yet, mid to late 30s, uh, maybe early 30s, actually. And yet. They say that 20 years ago, he saw Kodos on this other planet as an adult. So, yeah, he's somewhere between 30 and 50, and she's (laughs) 19. So they go out and go for a stroll. Um, First things first, I don't know what she is wearing, (laughs) but she went from the flowing gown thing with a beehive to some kind of weird beehive veil thing.
0: Yes. This is like bizarre. super
1: pointy and it's, it's all like it's, it's basically it's a headscarf, but it's also got a point. It's really weird. I think actually costume wise, I think this is actually something they used later on uh, Vulcan women.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause I knew it looked familiar. The head, the headset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gotcha.
1: I think Spock's uh,
0: um, what, uh, fiance
1: was wearing it in uh, in uh, Amok time? Amok time, yeah. Amok, amok, amok. Amok, 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 amok. Right. Uh, <laughs> So, then they're like, hey, you know what? Um, you want to make out?
0: <laughs> and so Actually, he, and he, does, he does the Kirk move of, I'm going to squeeze your shoulders together to make it thinner. <laughs>
1: I shall now crush you. But then she's like, Hey, I'm in it. And she just leans right in and seems to actually kiss him back, which is very unusual for Kirk.
0: (laughs) But right before they get into it, Jim has something that really sees something that kills the mood.
1: Yep. He's like, Hey, that's my buddy over there. Let's go say hi. And he walks over and he's like, he's dead. It's Tom Layton. And he's a late one. Oh, dead dog. What a <laughs> shot. See, I can do it too. <laughs> so they, they fade to black and then fade back out. And Martha is laying Tom on the couch, which I'm not
0: sitting there again. <laughs> well, she's never been really much of a housewife. So she fears I'll leave them there till Tuesday. The maid will get to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, Martha's dress is really nice, too, because this is, it's like dark green, but it looks like somebody just doodled on it.
1: I mean, that seems kind of cool, actually. I mean, if you think about the, the mod 60s party they were having, it kind of fits. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, will it's get like that dress and like, I don't know, ambrosia salad and some <laughs> Tom Collins mix. You're, you're good to go.
0: <laughs> so Martha <So, laughs> asks, you know, was like, well, if Tom, if, you know, why was tom killed if he if he wasn't right about what was going on and i love this scene because she says oh jim and she throws herself onto jim's chest and then immediately realizes who she threw herself into and gets out of there fast
1: yep she's like oh i'm i'm so sad <laughs> and she's like but i'm not that vulnerable <laughs> it's like i can't believe you ew, 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 right ew, ew. and that's <laughs> when you know that Jim and Tom go way back and yes. so does she. So Jim calls up to Ahura, and he's like, Hey, uh or excuse me, Jim's back on the bridge and he tells Uhura, Hey, Oh no, um, he's he's still
0: uh he's still in the room. Is it when
1: he's still in the room? Yeah, yeah. okay. So he calls her and he's like, Hey, I need you to call the Astral Queen for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and scramble it.
1: Right. So Captain John Daly gets on the phone and he's like, Hey, this is John. <laughs> Kirk's like, "Hey John, i haven't talked to you in a while. How's it going?" Now, those who are listening carefully could have known or could have noticed that this is a very familiar voice. It is in fact John Aston of Adams Family Fame. Uh, <laughs> he he was completely uncredited, but after I read that, I was like, "Oh my god, it's totally who it was." It's yes, so because obvious. Listening What's to it, it was
0: like it sounded like somebody doing a John Aston imitation. Right? Oh no, it was actually him. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Jim, this is John. Nice (laughs) to see you again. The fact that you're so agreeable just makes it, you know, even nails it down over. What? You want me not to pick him up? Okay, Jim, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to violate a contract? No problem. (laughs) Sounds
1: good. Sure.
0: Uh, so Jim tells, uh, tells John, Jim tells John, Hey, the goofy actors leave them here. I will take care of them. And if anyone asks, it's my responsibility, but it's only if anyone asks, let's not tell anybody that we're doing this. John's just like, okay. Right.
1: <laughs> He's like, well, uh, I sure owe you one. Are you sure? owe me or I owe you a whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have to wonder, if this is an easy one, what in God's name did Kirk do for John? Where are those bodies? <laughs> now I do want to point out that the writers clearly, this is not their most imaginative point in the script since we've now been dealing for the last half hour with Jim, John, Tom, and Martha. <laughs> like. <laughs> What writing class did you guys go to? We're missing George. Where's George? And Bill talked to Bob, and Bob said, hey, Bill, where's Jim? (laughs) So then we go back to the bridge, and Spock's like, hey, so uh, we're ready to go, right?
0: (laughs) And Jim's like, "Mm, I think something's going to happen. I think we're going to get a call. I don't know what exactly, but it's about to pop (laughs) off. And then they just tell him, hey. Lenore and just beamed aboard. Now, what do you mean you just beamed aboard? Right? <laughs> this, okay.
1: This is something that has bugged me on all the shows. At some point, the captain's on the bridge, and somebody calls him and is like, hey, did you know so-and-so was coming aboard? And he's like, no. Did, did you know about this? And they're like, no. <laughs> How is it that on a military vessel, people are allowed to just beam into the transporting room? Just <laughs> show mean? up. Like bing, I'm here, and you're like, who the hell are you? And why are you here? Why is that okay? That should never be okay.
0: Yeah, this is this is kind of like that whole thing with there's no lock on the on the door to the bridge, you know. It's right. Like people just kinda, you know, Charlie X in that episode just kind of strolls onto the bridge. It's like, yeah, but nobody does. <laughs>
1: so at the very least, Kirk is like, Yeah, escort her here. <laughs> So, I mean, that's good. And then we flash over to the transporter pad and we see her getting a
0: hand to step down off the transporter. And she and, is wearing a fur towel. Oh, that's I, that's the only way I can describe it. Okay. It kind of
1: reminds me of a fur vest worn by a cartoon character hippie in <laughs> like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Like it, It's just, oh. <laughs> Chinchilla towel. Right. <laughs> to, so everyone close your eyes and picture this. It is a woman standing there wearing, it, it is a puffy fur vest that goes down to where a mini skirt would stop. Yes. And it has a gold zipper up the front of it. And it's off the shoulder. And it's off the shoulder. That is the entire outfit.
0: <laughs> well, fishnets too. Cause and of course there's fishnets. <laughs> Cause she's going to see Jim Kirk and ask him for a a right. And so it, bizarre. And who's the, who's the gold shirt who just hangs around <laughs> in right. the transporter room and then just escorts her up there? Which I accidentally did a freeze because I had to get a drink. And I did a freeze when those uh, uh, turbo lift doors open. Mm-hmm. And the freeze makes it real obvious that when those doors open, he is looking right down her cleavage. I mean, yeah. <laughs> of course, it was right there, but it was just one of those things of like,
1: whoa. And then he gets off and he just stands
0: around. Yes, he He's, just stands
1: on the bridge. He brings okay. her up to the bridge. We have definitely seen this before, though. Usually it's security. They pop out of the, the uh, turbo lift and they stand there and they wait for something violent to happen. And then they stand there and watch it happen. Because for some reason they never do anything.
0: At least but, I'll give this guy he was smart enough not to touch anything on Ahura's console that is true. I hate those guys that just walk in and just, you know, plant their butt right on (laughs) on her console. And
1: she looks at him like, what is your problem? (laughs) I will end you. (laughs) So it is interesting that she's wearing this fur vest because she is in fact tied with Ricardo Montalban and, um, uh, Joan Collins. Collins. Yeah. Joan Collins. Uh, for the most amount of costumes worn on a single episode of Star Trek. Uh, Now it is debatable. Actually, if you count the pointy headdress thing that she wore when she was on her walk with Kirk, you could say that she actually is the winner with seven outfits Uh, in one episode, which I mean, that's in an insane amount of costume changes for an episode. That's got what five commercial breaks. I think, (laughs)
0: Because most people in Star Trek wear the same clothes they wore yesterday. Right. <laughs> anyway, so she
1: walks on the bridge and she's like, Hey Kirk, how's it going? You're not gonna believe it. Our spaceship left without us. Yeah, Kirk like, asked oh, to we'll do that. Really? I never would have seen that coming. <laughs> well, sucks to be you. <laughs> And she's like, oh, Kirky Poo, could we like have a ride? And he's like, well,
0: and he looks at Spock with this smarmy grin. He's like, we're not really supposed to do that. And Spock's look is like, so you're just going to do this on the bridge now? You, yep, pretty much. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's funny because they keep on flipping back to Spock. I he's just like, I, I just, I can't believe this. This is. It is. I mean, seriously,
1: at this point, they have not set enough of a precedent for Kirk to be this slimy. <laughs> and he's like, well, I guess I could give you a ride, but what are you going to do for me?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And he says it just like that. But do that you have?
0: That creepy. What do you have to trade? Oh, and she's like, we'll put on a show for you. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: which again is just like, oh. Uh. And he immediately is like, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you know, the crew could use some entertainment. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine out of the, out of the shot, Uhura, like being over the side, just trying to jam that thing in her ear as hard as possible right. so she doesn't have to listen to anything
1: <laughs> They're all washing out their eyeballs with hand sanitizer.
0: <laughs> and again,
1: I want to remind everybody, she's, she's 19. 19. <laughs> so she gets on, or she walks to the turbo lift so that she can go somewhere and out walks Janice (laughs) Rand.
0: her only scene of this episode. And it's awesome. It only lasts two seconds, but it's all, she says
1: more in this scene than anyone else says the entire episode, (laughs) she looks over her shoulder at this fur clad weirdo and she shoots her so much shade in one glance that you're like, yeah, Janice hates her guts. We know she hates her guts. And I'm pretty sure that if she shows up dead later, Janice did it.
0: (laughs) Story-wise, I think we've nailed the exact moment where Janice Rand decided to fill out that transfer paperwork. Amen. She also thought, so
1: we're doing this on the bridge now? Yeah. <laughs> Classy. Right. So Jim's like, well, uh, that's all I needed. Let's go to the Benicia colony.
0: And <laughs> Spock's like, dude, that's a long way out of our way. And again, Kirk is like, yeah, you shut up now.
1: Like he's just like super jerky, and it's like, what is the deal, man? I,
0: I just don't get it. I'm not sure if you're being weird because of the woman, or you're being weird. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the conflict that might be going on in Jim's head. I'm either going to arrest a hardened, a a social criminal, a mass murderer, or. I'm going to get him good with his daughter. And I'm not quite sure which of those things is going to happen yet. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think that's a good decision to be making. I'm just saying. It is Jim Kirk. So I, I agree it's not a good decision. I'm saying it's just a Jim Kirk decision. <laughs> right.
1: So Kirk's like, hey, uh, how long is it to Benicia? Spock's like, six hours. Shut up. <laughs> it's just.
0: So weird note on Benicia that this is also going to be the colony in the very last episode of star Trek that Janice Lester, when she takes over Kirk's body insists that they take the ship to Benicia. Mm-hmm. Just a side note. That's Nothing else. Cool. I know I wonder, about
1: it. I wonder if they like purposely did that for Canon reason of some sort, like Benicia is just like where actors and criminals go or like, I, if I'm guessing it was, it the name was of somebody's cat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so (laughs) Jim starts looking up all the information he can
0: find. Um, no, that's not right. Well, he, yeah, he, he, the thing is he gets up and goes and sits in Spock's chair right in front of Spock and starts, it starts monkeying around the library computer, which you can see the look on Spock's face. It's just like, dude, if you mess up my settings,
1: That is true. But does it, I don't know if it really bothers him or if he's just like, now you're going to make my chair stink. (laughs) Like, my human smell repressor is only lasting so
0: long. And now I'm going to have to double it up. And everyone knows after you talk to a pretty girl how sweaty your palms get. So I don't even want to think about Kirk's sweat. So uh,
1: Kirk asked the computer, he's like, so uh, how many people are left from Kirk? or from um the planet what what planet was that uh, uh about his oh place, Tarsus four Tarsus four kirk says hey uh how many people are left from Tarsus four and the computer's like there are nine people you are one of them dummy <laughs> and he realizes that there's another person on this ship what are the odds there's another person on this ship who's also seen him it's Kevin Riley. Kevin Riley. Don, don, don. So Riley is played by Bruce Hyde. Uh, originally, he was actually not cast as Ensign Riley. He was cast as, or excuse me, Lieutenant Riley. He was actually cast as Lieutenant Robert Dyken. But when they realized that Bruce Hyde had already <laughs> been on the show once before, they were like, "Well, his name last time was Riley, so maybe we should just call him Riley." But we either have to make him Arcturian. Or, or just put <laughs> his name back, right? Back. Exactly. So uh, Bruce was a he was a professional actor and an acting teacher, uh, on, mostly on stage, uh, and he was actually an instructor at Saint Cloud University in Minnesota.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, this is actually going to be the last time we're going to see the character Kevin Riley, um, and we're probably going to assume that because of what happens in this episode, he like Janice Rand, is just like I have had it and I'm out and I'm going to fill out um, that transfer transfer paperwork. I know I would. <laughs> Cause the we, thing we do find out is Riley actually got a promotion is in communications now. So, you know, good for him. Right. And Spock's like, yeah, he's a good guy. I love this guy.
1: And Kirk's like, you know what? Bust him down and put him in engineering. Now.
0: <laughs> Spock's again, like,
1: again, huge jerk about it too. <laughs> yes. And Spock's like, um, he's going to be like, you know, upset about this. Cause he's a pretty nice guy and he's pretty good at what he does. And Jim's like, Shut up. Send him down engineering.
0: It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it, it's. And again, at any point, Jim could take Spock aside and say, hey, look, here's what's going on. And he never does that. Nope. I, the only thing I can figure is that he's afraid if he does that, Spock's going to tell him, dude, you can't be hanging around the girl. Well, that is true. Right. That's the only thing I can figure that he's he's he doesn't want to tell Spock. because Spock is going to do what he knows. Spock will do is like, dude. Get yourself out of this situation.
1: Yeah. The problem is, is that Kirk is like, I have a plan. Don't worry. I have this all under control.
0: And she just wore a full towel onto the bridge. really
1: cute. (laughs) So Spock's like, you know what? I'm on break. (laughs) It's down to to the uh, med lab to hang out with McCoy, who is for some reason sitting by himself. (laughs) Drinking (laughs) at noon. On a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got the entire bottle sitting next to him. Like he's, he's drinking. <laughs> what kind of bottle is it? Oh, he's, it's my favorite character. It is the Saurian brandy bottle. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, uh, what is it? William Dickel, um, uh, brandy bottle such, or not brandy, uh, excuse me, William Dickel whiskey bottle. Which we last
0: saw, Evil Kirk drinking out of as he staggered around the hallways. That's right, and
1: <laughs> again, stole it from from uh, the
0: blah 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 blah.
1: Stole it from sickbay and got it out of uh, uh, McCoy's stash. Which again, why does McCoy have all the booze stashed in sickbay?
0: That's not okay because the bar that is in Strange New Worlds on the Enterprise is no longer there. We never see that bar again. That's true. And I do what they replaced it with. And McCoy's like, you are not sending me out months at a time without alcohol, dude. That's yeah, not If work. you're
1: taking away my bar, I want a whole case of Saurian brandy. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock walks in and Bones is like, hey, wow. y- you want a drink? And Spock's like, Vulcan's don't drink. And McCoy says, the weirdest thing I've yes. ever heard him say. N- now I know. Why they were
0: conquered? What? Yeah,
2: when conquered.
0: Yeah, when, when in history have they been conquered? Uh, this is this is something we have never heard before. We will never hear again. And at this, well, point, that's not true.
1: That is not true. We have okay. heard it again. This is proof that this is not the real McCoy. Oh, I did not mean it to sound like that. Dang, <laughs> that was not on purpose. <laughs> this is not the authentic McCoy. This is Mirror Universe McCoy. Ah. It all comes together because Mirror Universe McCoy would know that the Vulcans had been conquered. That also explains why he's such a heavy drinker and nobody knows about it. (laughs) I figured it out. I I cracked the code. This is why from this point forward, McCoy always seems like he's drunk because he's from
0: the Mirror Universe and he's stuck here. (laughs) And people say, well, that won't happen until such and such episode. It's like, yes, but... Stardates don't mean anything right now. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. This stuff happens when I say it happens.
1: Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, no, no. It's it's not from that adventure. He just happens to have gotten thrown in here somehow. And he doesn't he doesn't even know why he's here. He's just like, This is weird.
0: I guess I'll drink. But hey, people don't yell at me as much, and I don't get thrown in agonizer booth every time I mouth off. So hey, right. I'm gonna hang out. And he doesn't know
1: why, but he shows up to work and his, his cabinet's full of booze. He's like, man, that's not bad. Imagine showing up to work and you open up your desk drawer and it's like, hey, it's full of booze. <laughs> now nice. this
0: is star food. <laughs> this is a reason to not work from home. <laughs> all right. Okay. And from time to time, Scotty shows up. It's like, who the hell stole my all my
1: brandy? Right? Now, Scotty shows up and is like, don't drink the green one. That's mine. <laughs> that's mine. so uh, Spock is like you know I'm not really sure why Jim brought all these actors on board it makes no sense whatsoever and uh, (laughs) And McCoy says oh I know why
0: (laughs) it's true but even Spock's like okay well yeah but that wouldn't explain why he busted Riley down for absolutely no reason and McCoy's like, Oh,
1: interesting. You want to drink? <laughs> Spock's like, no, I told you, I, I don't, I don't drink. And McCoy's like, Oh, no, that's cool. That's cool. But just a little drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. When did you say you wanted a drink? Right now, if we're being honest, Spock and strange new worlds, we know he knows how to drink.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. He, he has done him him
1: diplomatic, uh, diplomatic relations with the Klingons. Um, <laughs> I I will say the actor who plays Spock, um, he did a fantastic job doing a drunk walk coming onto the bridge (laughs) after talking to the Klingons. That was real good. Subtle, but good.
0: (laughs) I I also like that. Again, usually Star Trek doesn't do this, but every once while it slips in, well, you know, he reassigned Riley McCoy tells Spock, well, he can assign people way he wants, you know, because, you know, it's space regulations. Oh, space Space regulations. (laughs) Can't stand those space rags. (laughs) Now, if we were on a planet, it would be different. But we're in space. So he gets to do what he wants.
1: Yeah. He's, he's, uh, you know, space invincible. (laughs) (laughs) So our next scene takes us to Jim and Lenore going for a stroll on a strange room we've never seen before that has <laughs> windows everywhere and we're like what are they looking at <laughs> turns out this is an observation deck that overlooks the shuttle
0: bay and the sky
1: yeah it's sky like
0: the space on one side shuttle bay on the other
1: but it was sky it was not space i think they were trying to make a point that it was facing towards the planet because oh. you could actually see sky outside and it was like, mm, okay, I guess so. <laughs> but then the other side is looking at the shuttle bay, which I I got to be honest, I don't really know how the, the mechanics of that work. That on one side is windows to the outside and the other side is a shuttle bay.
0: It's a little, little thin sliver of space in between.
1: Yeah, I guess yeah, it's real shell. tiny. It
0: was a real tiny room. I'm and just not sure why it's there. Yeah, right? Like, what do you. No well, who's control, gonna, there was no controls or anything there. It was just like. Maybe it's for
1: diplomats. Like, oh, yeah. come take a look at our ship. And then, oh, look, there's where your shuttle landed. <laughs> <laughs> now, this room is interesting, or as uninteresting as this room is, uh, <laughs> it will be used one more time as the observation deck in the Mark of Gideon, which had the same director. Ooh, I wonder
0: if that's why it was used again. Yeah. He's like, hey, uh, find me that room we used the last time. (laughs) You know what people love? The observation deck? I was just going to say that. Right.
1: Um, Now, it was also redressed as the Romulan Bridge for Balance of Terror. What I'm not entirely sure is what the shooting order was, because uh, I found two different articles about this, and one of them said that, the observation deck was turned into the Romulan bridge. And the other said the Romulan bridge became the observation deck. So I don't know which was which I gotcha, but I really am looking forward to the next episode to see if I can tell that it's the observation. <laughs> deck.
0: <laughs> anyway. So yeah, Jim and Lenore are on their date and they're flirting hard and she's doing the whole, you know, Oh, oh, the lights are so dim. Did you do that just for me, Captain? And Jim's like, oh, no, no, we, we use a you know day and night cycle on the Enterprise to go ahead and give people some sort of sense of time, which I've never heard before. And I don't believe we'll ever hear again.
1: Actually, so I read that after you wrote that, and I was like, you know what? I totally 100% agree. And then I thought about something. Night shift on the Enterprise D. They did touch on that. They would, uh, whenever there was night shift going on on the bridge, they did kind of a a, a red shirts kind of episode where all the junior officers were running the night shift on the bridge. And then when when all the senior officers came in for the day shift, they raised all the lights back up. And all of a sudden it was like, yep, we're in daytime now. So uh, everything okay. got brighter. And I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, actually, they kind of do that. Oh, uh, Okay.
0: All right. Now, I just, I just assumed that everything that happened in Star Trek next generation happened in the early afternoon. And that was the, the reason. Right. Thought, exactly.
1: Thought, yeah. Okay. They, they only touched on that stuff a couple times here and there. And actually Voyager did it too. Uh, Harry was always on night shift and the bridge would always be like real, real dark on night shift. And then they'd like, uh, okay. I mean, they kind of light it back. Up. I mean, it's Voyager. It was always dark on the bridge, <laughs> but they, they would change it a little bit. <laughs> but I do like that Kirk's responses on all this stuff. It's like, he's flirting so hard in every scene he's got with her. And she flirts back with all these, these questions. Like, did you dim the lights just for me? And his responses are always like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> did you come to this party just to see me? Uh. Uh-uh. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do like, oh, it, again, Lenore with the double entendres. That's why these two would make a good couple because they can't stop with the friggin' double entendres. And she goes into the whole thing about, the ship is all powerful and surging and throbbing with throbbing with power. Uh, You know, I've never really heard that phrase before. Surging. Yes. Throbbing
1: with power. Seriously. Who uses that in polite conversation ever? (laughs) The only time you use throbbing in, in polite conversation is I have a headache. My head is throbbing. I hit my thumb with a hammer. Now it is throbbing. (laughs) You don't say that about anything else because we all know what that means. And and you don't ask somebody on a date. Are you throbbing? Nope. That is not okay. But he, the look on his face, like, Oh yeah. (laughs) And the look on all of our faces, like she's 19. (laughs)
0: I really liked the part where she starts doing this whole thing where she talks about, you know, Kirk is a Caesar in space and me as Cleopatra. Come to oh, admire sure. him. And it's like, you're a Shakespearean actress. <laughs> you know how that story ends up, right? I, I just might have want to use a different metaphor there. But uh, I mean, she,
1: turns out she's not wrong. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, so we go back to the bridge. <laughs> And Spock's like, you know, uh, this really sucks. I, I'm not, this is crap. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. So he sits down and he's like, Google, computer, Google. And it doesn't do anything. So he's like, all right, let me do a complex data manipulation then. <laughs> I actually really like this because he, he does some data munging here. That's pretty cool. Um, yes. So he, he asks the computer, I want you, I want you to find commonalities between Caridian, Kirk, Riley, and Layton. Let's find out where their paths have crossed and how they're related and all this stuff, and blah, 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 blah. And the computer's like, well, all these people die every time Caridian's around. This is is a great example that you don't see very often on these shows of real data cross-referencing. A lot of times with these shows, they just kind of go show me all things that do this. And you're like, (laughs) okay, but that's not how data works. So, you know, whatever. And Brent Spiner's like, that is how data works. Uh, So (laughs) I I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know. I'm also a nerd
0: about data. So whatever. It is one of those things that, again, looking back at it, it's like, oh, that's actually how somebody would do that. Like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense.
1: Like I would totally, you know, get on Google and be like Caridian, Kirk, Riley, Layton, uh, dead nine Kodos. (laughs) Boom. I'd find those results in no time. (laughs) Anyway. So uh, Spock is, is uh, he goes back to visit McCoy. And
0: yeah, he's really, he's, he's, they're walking through the hallways and he is really bending McCoy's ear on this whole thing. And yeah, uh, he kind of gives the the basic outline, okay, Tarsus Four, 8,000 people there, highly exotic fungus, wipes out the food, Kodos, who's the governor, calls for martial law and wipes out half of those people. I did find it interesting that it wasn't just he just marches
1: around killing people. No, he's like, we're going to deliberately split everybody in half
0: and then we'll kill half of them. And he, and this is where Spock really starts to get his ire up. Not only did he kill half the people, he chose the criteria by who's going to live and who's going to die. And they start bringing up the idea of eugenics, which we know in the Star Trek universe, eugenics is bad. We don't yeah. like that. We're prejudiced against that. We have a heavy bias. We do not like that. So anybody who even talks about the the pr- virtues of of eugenics automatically that person, we got to take care of that person and get them out of here. Cause exactly. I don't care how good their
1: hair is or how huge their pecs are. <laughs> eugenics is bad. <laughs> so it, it, I think it was really a really good point um, that, that they were really hitting that hard. Um, but <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of interesting that both Kirk and Riley ended up on the same ship because Kirk 20 years ago, as an adult happened to see Kodos and Riley 20 years ago, as clearly a very small child, his parents were killed by Kodos and somehow they end up on the same ship.
0: So I'm just going to, this is not Canon whatsoever. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to blurt out. Shatner wrote a series of Star Trek books.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One of them actually addresses this and claims that a teenage Kirk actually saved a very young Kevin Riley and they escaped the whole thing, um, eventually running into the earthships, which Sarek was on of all people. But the reason Riley is on the enterprise is that Kirk personally, um, first of all sponsored him for the for the uh, the academy and then wanted him on board the ship because he felt a certain kinship towards Kevin Riley. So
1: was Kirk a teenager when he sponsored him for the Academy? Oh, Oh, okay. No, as a teenager, he rescued the child. Then he found out about him later and was like, I'm going to sponsor. Okay. I got it. I got it. So, Eh. but again, that's, that's in a book. That's in a
0: novel that, uh, that's a whole lot of name dropping by Shatner there. (laughs) It it was one of those things of I'm trying to tie, I'm trying to tie up as many loose ends as I can in one book as possible. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) He's like, all right, this book will be called fixing
1: gene. (laughs) So Kevin is at the console in engineering and somebody's brought him lunch, which I, it looks like it's a bunch of toddlers toys on a plate (laughs) and a, glass of milk. Now a glass of milk. Now, when we get into TNG and DS nine and stuff where they've clearly got the replicators that both deliver food in containers and also destroy the containers afterwards, it's real cool that everybody's got glass dishware, (laughs) you know, whatever on this ship. I'm pretty sure they got a, you know, trash can because there, there is a trash chute. We're going to find that out later. Um, so I'm, Pretty sure that the glass is not the greatest idea.
2: But, but anyway.
0: the director loved it as idea because he really wanted the uh, the breaking glass sound at the end of the scene. That was the, That's that was the whole. Um, I find it interesting that, first of all, they put Kevin Reilly at the exact same <laughs> console that in The Naked Time, he took over the entire ship with. Also true. Now, I also found it interesting.
1: that This is clearly the same console that the computer engineer was at when Spock snuck up behind him uh, in the menagerie to take over the Enterprise. Anyway, uh, so he's he's at this console in engineering and he's really upset that he's been busted down. And so he decides that he's bored because he's uh, he's in an office that where he's all by himself no idea where anybody else is in engineering. Yes. Yes. So he's bored. So he calls the rec room and he's like, Hey, is anybody in there? I'm bored. Now, if I was in the rec room at work and all of a sudden an intercom came on and somebody was like, is anybody there? I'm bored. I would lose my mind. That would scare the <laughs> hell out of me. Just saying, that's a weird thing to do, dude. Anyway, so he calls down and, Uhura happens to be there plinking around on the the Lyra. So somebody walks over and is like, hey, we're going to have Uhura sing something for you. What do you say? And he's his words say, yeah, that sounds awesome. And his eyes say, oh, Oh, god. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a weird acting
0: choice for this moment. (laughs) The thing is really strange is that Michelle Nichols was a professional singer early in her career, and they decided to choose a song that just seems completely out of her key. Yeah, it's terrible because I've heard her voice and she has a very good voice, but this was not one of those times. It was like, yeah, you guys really you went out of your way to make her not sound really good.
1: Well, we weren't wrong about this because Riley clearly felt the same way. He <laughs> leans back in his chair, staring at the ceiling, spinning around like, "Ugh, this again."
0: Now, one thing it I was- did like in the rec room, though, mm-hmm. they had 3D tic-tac-toe. I used to have this. That's because in the future, all board games are 3D. Oh man, I can hardly wait till 3D Monopoly. <laughs> if you think knocking over the board and you know is cool now, just wait until. You know, right. there's more of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a real bummer though. Cause the very top square is actually park place. It's real terrible. Oh, that's, the top square. Yeah, That's <laughs> so <laughs> while he's spinning around all of a sudden dun, dun,
0: dun
1: mysterious gloves come into screen and spritz
0: something in his milk. And I, I love this because <laughs> they spray something into his milk using a standard kitchen spray bottle that you would get at Walmart. Okay. Here's the deal.
1: This is clearly a futuristic spray bottle because there was no, whatever that poison was dribbling down the knuckles of that person <laughs> while spraying it.
0: I'm just thinking certain levels of technology, you know, uh, the, the wheel, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh the doorway, uh, and of course, the plastic spray bottle. These are things that are so integral and so basic to our society that it will basically always be there. You want to talk
1: integral to society? That bottle's actually full of Windex. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Riley is like, oh, this song sucks. I'm going to just down my milk. And so he, he takes this. Okay. Again, another weird acting decision. He takes the glass, holds it against his mouth for a minute and just kind of stares off into space and you're like is he pretending to drink or not? I can't <laughs> tell. And then he pulls the glass away and then he's like time to drink and he just starts guzzling. And you're like, "Whoa, that's a lot of milk real fast, dude. That's going to upset your tummy. Don't, you shouldn't do that." And then he goes, "Wow!" <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm a set designer, and and the and i'm watching this scene i'm going to go out there and i'm going to smack this guy cuz he spilled that milk all over that console <laughs> that i just got done repainting <laughs> and then of course it's as you said the glass falls off the console and smashes on the floor
0: dun dun dun
1: and from the floor we hear riley go i'm lactose intolerant <laughs> Why would somebody give me milk for my lunch? (laughs) I'm allergic to cow's milk. Ah.
0: So (laughs) Riley's laying in sick bay now and he's totally out. And Spock tells him, you have to pull him through. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting about this conversation. You have to pull him through. Well, I don't know if I can. Well, you have to, because if he dies, then Jim Kirk is the next target. Wait, what? So yeah. you want to pull Riley through because you're hoping they're going to try to kill him again rather than move on to Captain Kirk. I mean, he's wearing a red shirt. Come on. <laughs> I'm really confused by, by Spock's logic on this one of, of, no, you you have to pull Riley through because otherwise they're going to try to kill Kirk. They're going to try to kill him anyway. We also true. Made absolutely now, that's no sense, sense whatsoever maybe
1: it was more like, you know, you have to save Riley. He's my boy. And McCoy's like, yeah, but you got any better reason? He's like, well, he's also the reason that they're going to kill Kirk next. So maybe that's actually how it went. And it was just bad. Editing.
0: <laughs> okay. I do so, like in Kirk's log, how he has to mention that everybody in the crew, the entire crew is worried about Riley. You know what though? I like that.
1: Yeah. I, I really like that because it, once again, Back in these days, there was actually heart about every time somebody died, they were like, you know, we all love that person. I I mean, unless more than one person died in an episode, then they're like, screw those (laughs) guys. That's just the way it goes. Right. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Also, why is it that this log has no adverbs? He's he's like captain's log. Uh, What is he He says? uh, Riley injured crew concern he, <laughs> what are you doing
0: i so i watch the thing that says if i use shorter and condensed words i'll free up more time <laughs> paycheck paycheck
1: someday <laughs> i will make it to my four-day work week <laughs> so <laughs> they go back to sickbay and bones and spock are sitting there talking and and uh, Bones is like, yeah, you know, he had uh tetra-cell white in his milk. I don't know. <laughs> <Tetralubisol was laughs>
0: like, <"Whoa."> uh What? <laughs> um, and, and oh yeah. It's a, it's a uh, lubricant we have here on the ship. It looks a lot like milk. I'm sure somebody just made a mistake. Yeah. I seriously, like
1: it's not like he was sitting there in engineering and there's a carton of tetralubasol and a carton of
0: milk. And he's like, oops, poured the wrong one. Oh. <laughs> it it reminds me in, in the 1960s Batman movie. There's a great scene in the Batcave cave where they have, they have a fountain there and it has a switch on it. That goes from drinking water to heavy water. For the oh yeah. <laughs> I like, forgot about that one. That was real good. It, it, don't store the milk next to the tetralubasol, guys. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. <laughs> did, it's, somebody, it's just, did somebody put chocolate? Did somebody are, put chocolate in this tetralubasol? I have told you. We, are, we do not make chocolate tetralubasol. How many times do I have to tell you? Do
1: not keep the tetralubasol next to the Elmer's glue and the milk. <laughs> that is not okay. Okay. <laughs> We've had three days without an accident. Come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I do like this scene because this is one of those rare times you see Spock actually like pull his rank on McCoy. Cause he's telling McCoy's telling this whole thing. And, and Spock's like, okay, you need to tell the captain this right now. And McCoy's like, I'll get around to it. And Spock's like, now. And McCoy's just like, okay. Of course, McCoy is drunk. Yes, yes, Mr. Vulcan. He's just show shot the path of least resistance. Right. (laughs) All right.
1: Whatever. The thing is, is McCoy's kind of like that in these early episodes. He's so super snarky, but at the same time, completely spineless. (laughs) (laughs) He does whatever anybody tells him to do.
0: I don't like this.
1: We're gonna do it anyway. All right. right. (laughs) I can't believe you use all this primitive medicine, but I'll do it anyway.
0: so spock and bones walk into jim's quarters and i just want to make a brief comment here when that door opens there is a lighting display on the wall of the in the hallway outside of jim's quarters that is just awesome there's like this red and green and blue prism reflection that is splashed up against the wall I have no idea why because when when we see you know just a couple of minutes I later, I didn't
1: really funny. notice that. I mean, it seemed completely normal compared to all the other times I've seen a hallway on my brand new <laughs> RCA 13 inch from the good people at RCA.
0: <laughs> Sorry, no, it, yeah, and that's exactly that. It's one of those things oh, of it is amazing 100%. that they gave them you know so much free reign with lighting because that was really, really awesome. I'm telling you, all the interviews I've ever read with those guys, they're like, it was
1: so much fun because we just had to show as much color as possible. Um, so Kirk's like, hey, is he going to make it? Bone's like, yeah, I guess so. And Spock's like, listen, like, are you going to make it, idiot? <laughs> I don't know. He's he's definitely got that snark, going the, the
0: Vulcan snark.
2: It's, it's it so is good.
0: one of the... It's one of those things he does an excellent job. I I really thought that Tim Russ as Tuvok and Jolene Blaylock as T'Pol also were able to pull this off. In I'm using a tone of voice that I didn't actually call you stupid, Yeah. but it's real obvious that I just didn't speak the rest of that sentence. I just kind of cut it off before I got to the point where I mentioned you being stupid. But I'm going to make it very clear to everybody I meant that. Yeah. To Paul, <laughs> also added in a,
1: a little sprinkling of that look my wife gives me every time I talk about my Star Trek podcast.
0: <laughs> One thing yeah. I'll give to Paul the, this is just my opinion. Jillian Blaylock really mastered the rolling her eyes without rolling her eyes. Oh, 100%. I have I, always, I really give her props for. I missed that character and I thought she did an amazing job because it was real obvious what was going on in her head without her ever saying a word.
1: 100%. (laughs) I just, again, Kirk is being so rude to Spock and just such a jerk that I, I think Nimoy did a great job of showing just how incredibly helpless Spock was this whole time. Yes. I, I really don't understand why Kirk was being like that and why he didn't just tell him what the heck was going on. But, Yeah, his
0: helplessness comes through so well. And the thing is, he lays it all out, and then Kirk tries the one trick that has never worked for Kirk ever. I'm going to try to get back in Spock's face and intimidate him. Yeah. And it's just like, that never, I mean, that has never worked. That's what I work today, and Spock goes. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. And and Kirk tries it, and before Spock can even open his mouth, Bones is just like, whoa, 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 whoa. At this point, I think Bones is just enjoying the argument. Yeah, right. go <laughs> okay, it seems like you're winning, so I'm getting on this side now. So like he's standing in the middle, going, talking loudly. We're
1: all talking loudly.
0: Are you going to take that, Spock? Are you going to take that from me? <laughs> And Spock's like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. Yeah. You know what? They're going to come after you, man. They're going to kill you. <laughs> Kirk's like, I don't care. We have to get justice. Yes.
0: <laughs> and McCoy's just dish mute. best served in space. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy says, you know, that doesn't sound like justice. That sounds more like revenge. Which, I mean, yeah. And and even mm-hmm. Kirk is just like, Okay. Yeah, I I uh, I I get you on that. And then he starts to uh he 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 says a line that just really, really made me afraid, but I'm glad they went past it. Kirk starts to reflect and says I've done some things I've never done before. And we just saw a scene with him on a date with Lenore, so the immediate thing is I don't yeah. want to hear any more of this. We're expecting both Kirk and McCoy to put their hands over their ears really quick and go and then
1: Yeah, but this is the point where we realize that what he really means is I've done things I've never done before, (laughs) like treat a woman with respect on a date. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, he did. He was very respectful until he decided to crush her again and she (laughs) crushed him back.
0: Remember, it's not love until you break a tooth. Right. (laughs) I do like that. Then Kirk starts going to the thing because Spock is just like, no, Karidians, Kodos, You, you got it right. Right. And, and Kirk is just like, I have to be sure I've logic is enough. I have to feel my way through this. Well, okay. There's two things about this. First of all, why do you have to be sure? Why right. can't you just call the authorities and say, Hey, you want to check this dude out? Why exactly. do you Jim Kirk have to be the one who figures this out? Also put him in the brig.
1: Yes. Just put him in the brig. Call somebody and say, Hey, let's look uh, into this.
0: It's sure, no, I we didn't have. exactly have a warrant, but you ought to check this guy out. Uh, the second thing is, Kirk goes on this whole thing of, y- you know, Spock, you're sure, but logic is enough. I need to feel my way through this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's not how the court systems work, dude. And right. It's- <laughs> also, this, once he says, I need to
1: feel my way through this, that's the point when Spock should have just slapped him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm your
0: Vulcan, dude. Trust me. <laughs> I slapped you and now I go, go wash my hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. So we're going to go to commercial because this, this
1: fight's going nowhere. <laughs> These guys suck. Um, we come back from a
0: commercial and, and we're
1: still having this argument. Oh, man, why can't we just be done with this fight? Now, for some so, reason,
0: McCoy slipped out during the whole thing.
1: Well, it's because he, uh, he saw those great deals on Charmin, and he, <laughs> he just had to run out. <laughs> uh, and so Spock, you know, he has a parting word, and he starts heading for the door. And all of a sudden, they hear the noise, which I, I don't know right. what this noise sounds like.
0: I will it's, tell you what it sounds like. What's that? It sounds like millions of crickets all chirping at the same time. I've never been around that many crickets all at the same time. Once leaving a friend's house, I heard the sound and I started laughing because I realized there's a phaser on overload because it was just a field of crickets, just all chirping together. And that's the sound.
1: Uh, Interestingly enough, I had uh, the uh, closed captions on while I was watching and they described it as uh, annoying hum. And then which, later, which is became, my jazz name, right? <laughs> then it became loud, annoying hum. And then it was what's uh, rock name. I think it was critically emergency hum or something like that. It was like it was really bizarre. It was like they just jammed a bunch of words together <laughs> with hum, which is my punk <laughs> name. That's there you go, jammed a bunch of <laughs> words together. At hum. My punk name is Bus Punk Number Two. Uh, <laughs> so spock is like i know what that sound is and he just starts tearing the place up oh i love this he just
0: immediately goes to he's a phaser on overload they start looking for some kirk yells into the into the monitor everyone get out of here but spock just goes over to his chested drawers opens all just throws everything out well and they definitely have different styles
1: too right like kirk is totally the 13 year old kid And Spock is the parent because Spock is like (laughs) ripping everything apart. And Kirk's like, I pick up a pillow. There's nothing there. I open this (laughs) box. There's nothing in there. Well, that's it. I I can't find anywhere.
0: (laughs) And Spock's like, it's here, man. Let's go. Finally, when he gets back to the room, he just turns around. He must be embarrassed. He just turns around and trashes his bookshelf. Right. (laughs) So Spock's like,
1: or Spock keeps going and Kirk's like, just, just get out of here. Go. (laughs) <laughs> and, and Kirk calls for a double red alert. So apparently this is the only time that a double red alert is ever called. Yes.
0: Cause he pulled it out of his butt.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, turns out that, uh, later episodes, they instituted the yellow and red alert system, which we know today. Th- this um, is, but yeah, this, this was the one and only Jim time. Kirk,
0: this is Jim Kirk panicking. He gets in a situation and the only thing he can think of is double. Get out of the way, dumbass. is the same man. Exactly. Double double dumbass on you. Exactly. (laughs) It's his move. He just, that's his automatic, I don't know, double. (laughs) Right. How fast should we go? I don't know. Double.
1: Admiral Kirk, you're to be (laughs) court-martialed. Oh, yeah? Well, double court martial on you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doubly innocent. (laughs) (laughs) So people are still walking around and Spock jumps out in the hallway. (laughs) He's like, Get out of here.
0: This is one of those things that everyone heard. Double red alert. Well, that doesn't exist. That must have been a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Kirk. (laughs) I love this ship. It's always so much fun.
1: And Kirk is talking on the radio. He's like, it's going to take out the whole section. (laughs) Which, judging by how Spock chases everybody away, the whole section is apparently that floor space right in front of Kirk's (laughs) quarters. And that's it. So... Kirk is looking around and all of a sudden he looks up and he sees it. It's behind the red alert light. Oh no. (laughs) Okay. So he opens up the cover of the red alert light and inside it is a light box. There is a white light in the back (laughs) and a red film on the front and then a phaser in the box. I have to wonder why there is a light box to be the red alert light. So here's my two things. Well, hold on. There's two reasons I have this question. One on the spaceship. I don't understand why they need a box that is for all these lights. And two for the set. I don't understand why they did this instead of just putting a light bulb with a gel. (laughs) Instead, they put a light bulb, a gel, a box, another gel. This is an expensive
0: option. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking that they they put um, the covers on there they have a white light behind there and they put the covers on there because different species see light wavelengths differently and so they have to put on something that each species will so for example um, a, a Telerian would actually need to have like a uh, a purple gel on it because for his eyes that's what will show up as red when he looks at it I get where
1: you're going with that, but I don't know. I think it'd be cheaper to give them all the contacts.
0: <laughs> and the reason it's a box is because everyone needs someplace to hide their weed. That's true. You could keep your weed. In.
1: <laughs> anyway. So Kirk finds the phaser in there and he gets his look on his face. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he's totally a three stooges kind of moment of like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> And then he runs out in the hallway and he finds a trash chute, <laughs> which was not there when Spock came out earlier. Okay. I was watching this episode after you made that note. I, wa- I rewatched that scene a couple times. It was there. Oh, is it? So, so Spock runs out in the hallway and you see on the wall, there's a little panel with like plumbing on it. Like, right. You know, the, the weird stupid craft things they put on the wall. Spock runs back in and then Kirk chases him out and when Kirk comes out the sh- the shot is wider so if you look behind Kirk you can actually see that thing that Spock was standing in front uh, of okay and then in front of Kirk there is the um pressure vent disposal chute <laughs> which means absolutely nothing <laughs> i'm guessing that maybe it is supposed to be a trash chute that goes out to space Cause if not, he just dropped an exploding phaser down a trash chute and went down to the waste management level <laughs> where he killed the entire waste management crew. <laughs>
0: and made all the toilets back up when they
1: <laughs> when right? all the toilets on the ship just backed up. All the all the trash chutes on the ship just vomited garbage <laughs> everywhere. And he blew a hole in the side of the ship. Because if it's going to take out an entire section, this is not going to be pretty when it gets to the bottom of the trash chute. This is a very American sensibility of <laughs> put it in the
0: trash can. It no longer exists. I was waiting for something because it says right on there, pressure vent disposal. And he throws it in there. I was waiting for somebody to run up. No, you're only supposed to put pressure vents in there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Like how many pressure vents do
1: they go through? Oh, <laughs> <My laughs> gosh. <laughs> you know, if we didn't have these things, there'd be pressure vents just all over the floor. Right. (laughs) So Spock runs up and the look on his face is like, you didn't throw it in there. Did you? (laughs) And then now I don't know if this is because of remastering or if it was just maybe my sound system or what, but it felt very much like he threw this thing down there. They both run up and then it goes boom. And they both throw themselves across the hall and into the wall. And you're like, that, that really wasn't that big a boom, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, it did seem a little, it seemed a little underwhelming, the effect versus, you know, what they actually go through. <laughs> so, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> Maybe so, it was one of
0: those things that were readying themselves for it, and then it was afterwards like, oh. Oh, Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're so used to throwing themselves around when they hear a boom that they're, they're like, Oh, I guess it really wasn't that bad. Like, it's sort around. of like when you're, when Nobody you're saw that, right? in your car and you, uh, you, you drive under a tree and the branch hits the window and you duck. Cause you, don't you, you know, <laughs> Oh, I didn't have to do that. Did I?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do like the smile afterwards. After this all blows up and, and Kirk has that smile. Like, <laughs>
1: once again, I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> Spock's like one of
0: these <laughs> days. <laughs> so let's go to the actors. It's time to check in with Kodos, Coridian whatever his name is. And he's played by actor Anton Moss. Now we've only seen the character a little bit. So this scene coming up here is going to be kind of the big, the big scene, but, um, Anton mass Moss, um, had a career that spanned, uh, acting career that spanned from 1941 to 1979 about, um, I liked it that somebody wrote this and I wrote it down in my notes as a, despite his refined voice, he was born in Brooklyn. Now, no shade to Brooklyn at all. I just thought that was right. a funny line. Well, it is a funny line. Now to be fair, the specific
1: reason that it was written like that is because he was actually known for his refined English accent. Yes. Yes, And he would use that English accent in a lot of the roles that he played. So despite the fact that he used that accent, he was actually born in Brooklyn.
0: And his voice actually got him a lot of work in uh, radio where he uh, started and he did some writing. He started his own Shakespearean company, actually, at one point. Hey, look, it's just like Kodos
1: (laughs) Caridian. Interestingly enough, Kodos from Brooklyn.
0: (laughs) Weird. That is weird, right? (laughs) One of the things I thought was really interesting, uh, he was a uh, creator of crossword puzzles and actually had yeah, uh, cool. several posts uh, posted to the New York Times Sunday, uh, New York Times uh, in all the decades between 40s and the 80s, which that's, wow. that's one of those things that I really admire somebody who can do that. Cause that's, that's, some, that's some difficult stuff. It seems very difficult. Also seems boring
1: beyond belief. <laughs> I um, love doing crosswords, but I cannot imagine the tedium of making them.
0: Yeah, I, it completely blows my mind, to be honest with you. One of the things I thought was really cool, and this is just a personal note, he was a regular performer and writer on the CBS Radio Mystery Hour between 1974 and 1982, which means I heard him quite a few times. Um, in my youth, my parents would take us on trips through Western and Northern Canada, um, mm. in our RV and we had no television at all. So we would listen to the radio at night while we play cards. And one thing that we had listened to every single night was the CBS mystery theater. So, uh, which was hosted by EG Marshall. Um, mm. but, uh, I thought that was, when I saw yeah. that as like, Oh man, I've, I've heard this guy dozens of times, you know, um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I also really liked is really good lesson in never giving up because he earned his PhD at 63. Which I thought was really really Man. cool, um, and just a kind of a side note. Uh, one of his sons is Jeff Moss, who's been a longtime series writer for Sesame Street. Holy crap! I did not know that was Jeff Moss's dad. That's interesting. <sighs> so that was just kind of a kind of an interesting thing. So one thing, I, <laughs> this scene between Kirk and Critian, this is I. I love scenes like this where, I mean, there's lots of long speeches and things like this, but one of the things I th- thought is very, very interesting when Kirk walks in to this room, him and Critian are seeing eye to eye. They're looking eye to eye to each other almost. Yeah. As the scene progresses, Kirk gets taller than him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I did not point, notice that. At one point, I was just like, "Is he standing on an apple box?" Because he's like three or four inches taller all of a sudden. And I can't tell if Moss is hunching down because of his emotion. Well, um, and they I do. think that may be what's happening. But it's just very bizarre that the the height difference strikes as this as the scene keeps on going.
1: I will say, in this scene, though, there is a a lot of heavy Twilight Zone uh, cinematography. The foreground to background to foreground to background. And uh, <clears throat> it could have a lot a lot to do with the perspective. Yes. Um Caridian keeps approaching the camera and getting really close to the camera. And then Kirk goes up to the camera really close and like they keep switching positions and the camera keeps refocusing. So it could just be that. Um because it and it, it's I <laughs> <laughs> Okay. This is Kirk versus a classic trained shakespearean actor (laughs) they are chewing every last bit of the scenery apart
0: (laughs) oh my gosh
1: this was so hard for me to get through i'm I'm not kidding i nodded off like four times and i had (laughs) to restart it it.
0: (laughs) so the uh, kirk finally shows up and tells critian all right we're overdue for our talk um and critian does the whole thing dude i'm an artist i need my space you know, and, and Kirk finally just comes out and does the scream, you know, are you Kodos? And Kriti well, doesn't do, say anything. Do you think I am? Yes. Because if you think
1: I am, then I must be Kodos. Which
0: <laughs> Kirk at this point is like, great hippie talk. Awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk finally hands in a piece of paper, which has the speech that Kodos made um, on Tarsus four and Critian recites the whole thing. And after a couple of sentences actually takes it down and just says it from memory. Um,
1: yeah. And Kirk notes it too. And he's like, Hey, I I see that you just, you you didn't have to look at that for the rest of the speech. And all I can think is, dude, you know, I'm an actor (laughs) like memorizing scripts. It's kind of what I do.
0: (laughs) And then, well, Kirk is going over this thing about, you know, are you Kodos? Are you Kodos? And we're going to do this voice print. And we're going to know for sure you're going to speak this speech into here and you're going to do this voice print. Um, and then Kritian, after he does this, this speech, Kirk is like, well, you figured that out pretty fast. And Kritian starts going in this weird, bizarre rant about man and the state of man and how man has an... It sounds very Ugh. similar to Khan as far as some of the things. But one thing that I really love is he claims that man has been mechanized and extre- electrolycized. No, no. <laughs> I Just so we're clear, it is
1: electronicized. Are you sure? I am because I went back and turned on
0: ca- uh, captions again because I was like, that's not a word. <laughs> See, my Fair captions, enough. but my eyes are not as good as yours. So, because, okay. Because
1: <laughs> I was like, <laughs> electronicized like electronicized <laughs> what
0: and it's so bizarre because it has nothing to do with anything that they're talking uh, about he just starts going this whole thing about man is a bunch of wimps now and uh, you know <laughs> and you know what the
1: problem is is that women they don't like men anymore and I'm <laughs> I'm celibate but it's not my fault sorry <laughs> It just—it did. It felt very inselly. I'm just saying it was—it was very, like, you know what the problem with today's day and age is—that is <laughs> nobody knows how to be a
0: man anymore. <laughs> okay, and then he goes into the real weak thing of, well, you know, if those ships hadn't showed up at Tarsus for, you know, Cotas might have got down a hero. Yeah. Okay, dude, that is the argument of every lousy despot who has ever existed. So you're despot despot
1: okay as i was writing all my notes down i was asking my family i need that that word for somebody who's like not quite a dictator but like they just kill people because they're trying to take control and they're gonna rule by fear alone and what is that word i'm like tyrant doesn't quite cover it and what despot that despot
0: was it. ah okay anyway <laughs> um, so the uh uh, and then Critian basically just tells him Kirk is like, "Well, what were you doing 20 years ago?" Well, first of all, he says like, "You know, you know, what were you doing? What were you 20 years ago?" If right. you're an after now, and I do like Critian, Critian's answer is like, "I was younger, dude." Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Um, <laughs> but he tells he tells he goes on this long melodramatic rant about the past is murky and is erased age takes one's memory and i mean just yeah blah 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 blah, blah, oh my
1: god it's so gross just shut up already (laughs) stop it (laughs) even kirk is like listen if i knew for sure that you were kodos i would have killed you already (laughs) and then he's like oh Oh, hey,
0: Lenore! I didn't see you standing there. (laughs) Wow, is this awkward? Yeah, I, I know I just threatened to kill your dad, but we're still cool, right? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I, I
1: recognize that you needed a tool to get this situation taken care of. Am I that
0: tool? That's why. And again, (laughs) nineteen. Just saying. First of all, yeah, lady, you're a tool. Um, no. Second of all, Kirk responds in the classic way that anybody in an '80s romantic comedy where the guy just dates a girl because it's a bet would have done. Well, yeah, at sure. first, but but after I got to know you, it becomes. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it to Molly Ringwald, dude. I mean, this has been done. <laughs> dude, this whole conversation
1: is so dumb. It, <laughs> So not only does he, does Caridian start off with that whole mechanized and electronicized, she all of a sudden like stops and like stares off into space and she goes, later, latest, too late, too late, Captain. <laughs> you are, you are like your ship. And then she launches into how he's, he's, he seems friendly and helpful, but he's actually just powerful and mechanical. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> it's it's an overdramatic reading of it's not me, it's you. <laughs> right? Oh, it's so bonkers. <laughs> Which at this point, when she does that, you have to think, somewhere in Kirk's mind, there's gotta be a it's like dodge a bullet. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like Oof, maybe I should have been nicer to Spock this week. <laughs>
1: So speaking of Spock, we're gonna go over to McCoy. I'm still drunk. He's in the he's in Sick Bay, sitting at his drinking table. <laughs> Which from now on I have now established a desk. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. That is now McCoy's drinking <laughs> table. So he's sitting there and uh, and behind him, Riley's just like casually leaning against the side of the door for some reason. I thought he was sick or something. I was going to
0: say, for a guy who barely pulled through, he seems to be
1: pretty di- doing pretty good. Right? Right? He's just like, yeah, just hanging out, <laughs> trying to look like a cowboy smoking a Marlboro. Yeah, you know. And McCoy's talking to his log, and he's like, yeah, so it turns out uh, Kodos is on the ship, which is really unfortunate, considering <laughs> he murdered Riley's parents and we know exactly where he's at. He's in room 37B on deck four. And if somebody gets there right now, they might be able. Uh.
0: <laughs> I'm so, so thankful cool. that Riley didn't hear any of this. <laughs> and so then Riley's like, Ooh, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to hide behind this wall until after the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> it's so very convenient. It's like, I don't know. Munster's convenience. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk is, is having a little bit of a, a, a voiceover and he's like, well, now we're going to put guards in all the nice air or nice sensitive areas of the ship to make sure that
0: nothing bad happens. So, so you brought a guy you suspect of being Kodos, the executioner onto your ship. And just now you're deciding, Maybe we ought to post some guards on the sensitive areas. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't want to offend the actor if you were wrong. I swear, Kirk sometimes is like the Michael Scott of space. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: So, (laughs) Hamlet is being presented for the crew. Now, I'm going to hold on here for a second. (laughs) I do want to point out a few things. The entire crew either by watching TV, which for some reason seems kind of a letdown that they have to watch it on TV considering they have TVs so they can watch it anytime, (laughs) but they have to, some of them are watching it on TV and some of them are actually in the theater, which they apparently now have on the enterprise.
0: Right. You, you, you push everyone in a small rec room,
1: but you have a theater, right? Incidentally, the theater is actually the engineering room, uh, redressed as a theater And since the engineering room also gets redressed as a gymnasium a lot, uh, there are actually parts from the gymnasium hanging on the walls in the the theater. It's good stuff. Anyway, so here's what's going on. The entire crew is gathered to watch Hamlet on stage. Not an hour ago, Kirk blew up part of the ship with an (laughs) overloading phaser. He discovered that yes, in fact, Kodos, the executioner, is on board the ship and is in the play. <laughs> they can't find Riley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we're about to find out somebody's broken into the weapons
0: locker. <laughs> in oh, which, the armory. Which I love that. It's like, so somebody, you are supposed to have guards around the sensitive areas. And you call up. I'm thinking this is like a quick reaction because they kind of got caught with their pants down on, yeah, where did that phaser come from that almost blew us all up? Right. And so now it's like, anytime a phaser doesn't show up, call the captain immediately. (laughs) And all this going on and
1: everybody's like, you know what? Let's watch some theater. I, this is worse than, you know, the Klingons are attacking the D and half the crews in the
0: holodeck. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. Right. So, you know I, what I say, that's Beta Shift's problem. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is some good stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> they decide that they're going to let the show go on, but maybe they should keep Riley from getting to the theater. <laughs> so, here's the thing that I love, though. As much as they're trying to keep Riley out of the theater, the only person who's going to make sure that he really keeps Riley out of the theater is Kirk. (laughs) And he's going to go backstage for some reason
0: because, because the red shirted guys are all just, they do a shot. Red shirted guys walk out of this door and kind of walk around the hallway. Red-shirted guy comes out of this turbo lift and then takes a right. Okay. Well just from that shot there, whoever was where the cameraman was obviously could have hidden from all of you guys. (laughs) Right? Stop. Like, this is not scary. So
1: <laughs> Kirk starts like hiding behind pieces of, of the set and he moves to the next piece of the set and he moves to the next piece of the set he's <laughs> glancing around. And all I can think is there's some guy in a red shirt sitting in the audience going, Hey, hey, Bill, did you just see the captain back behind <laughs> Hamlet? What's, what's this? This show's weird.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I hear he's got a thing for the chick.
1: <laughs> so right oh, that's it. Kirk's like, Hey,
0: Riley, stop right there. <laughs> now, I do like Riley starts doing the thing of like, no, that's the bad guy and I want to kill him, and they they do this thing where he's speaking about, I remember all this right while Kodos who's playing the ghost of Hamlet's father is Mm -hmm. speaking about his time and his own memory. And so it kind of ties in a little bit. I, 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 if I was the writer, I would have been very proud of myself on that. Yeah, it
1: wasn't bad. It was, it was better timing than I expected. I will give him that. And then Riley's like, (sighs) Ah, <sighs> uh, fine. He gives the phaser to Kirk, <laughs> which I don't really get. Like, you've already made it this far. Your career is pretty much over. Um, you may as well just kill the guy and get your revenge. But he's like,
0: no, I'm going to give it up. And where does this phaser go? Because another uh, phaser is going to show up in a little bit, but this phaser just completely disappears. I don't know. Let's he questions. hands it off to somebody because it's not there anymore. No, no that is weird. So, Kodos Here's Riley. And he's like, "Oh no, they know that I'm Kodos." <laughs> it was another. It was. He tells his daughter, and he's still doing the actors' parlay thing of, you know, it was another part long ago before I never told you about it. But that curtain rises again. <laughs> yeah, she's like,
1: "Yeah, Dad, you're Kodos. I know."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which that's hey, one of those things of okay, that's got to be pretty crappy. <laughs> right. Well,
1: and I mean, it's also a reminder, your kids know what's actually going on.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Just so we're clear Very people. Po- <laughs> Very good point. Kids are not that stupid. They
0: know what's up. And Lenore really turns on the crazy eye now. As as, as much as she was flashing it before and now she just really starts to drill it. Well, that's because she's got to get crazy eyes because she's going, Dad,
1: I don't want to freak you out or anything, but <laughs> I totally killed all those people that knew who you were. <laughs> there's two more and I'm going to kill them too. Right. Now it is kind of funny that she gets such crazy eyes at this point, because it turns out the reason for that is because the actress actually got a cold sore. <laughs> uh, so they had to have her tilt her head forward and, and cast the bottom of her face in shadow. Cause they couldn't cover it up with makeup. Uh, And so it actually made her crazy eyes that much worse. (laughs) Um, But that's why uh, they're all kissy at the beginning of the episode and not so much towards the end. It's not just the story. It's also because I'm pretty sure Shatner was like, nope. mm
0: -mm." (laughs) Uh, So Lenore basically just Scooby-Doo's the whole thing. And she just makes <laughs> i would have gotten
1: away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids <laughs> <Exactly>.
0: <laughs> and and kodos is just like oh man i did the the one good thing in my life and even that's screwed up so uh so kirk tells him she keeps on telling kirk we have to finish the play and kirk's like you're not finishing the play um and he calls a red shirt back yeah. Now, I get the feeling in Star Trek that a lot of the more adventurous things or dangerous things that happen is because we get to see a lot of guys in red shirts on their first day on the job.
1: Well, if you think about it, they're red shirts, right? So, like, half of them have died already. So, the, these are their replacements. It's almost always their replacements. <laughs> right?
0: I can't you know, Oh, God, they stole my phaser. <laughs> right? <laughs> she just walks up and she's like. Hey, soldier! Yoink! <laughs> she grabs his phaser right off of his belt. Now, I'm thinking that if I'm going to arrest somebody, maybe I would want my phaser out. But no, he just no, has no. it as a belt, and she just grabs it and runs onto the stage. Um, it's at
1: this point that we know she's really crazy. Because look at sure her hair is messed up. <laughs> Only crazy people have messed up hair. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Lenore goes full disassociation and talks about killing everyone on the ship and it being a floating tomb where the Critian will will play to the stars. And at this point, you got to figure most of the crowd is just kind of looking on, wondering if this is some sort of new improv crap that they, you know, the actors have come up with. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> ugh. That's
1: such a terrible. Oh God. The, ugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just
0: don't like it. It's just so bad. <laughs> so Kirk tries to talk Lenore down and as he approaches her, she steadies the phaser on him and says, I know how to use this captain, <laughs> which is very odd because is that Welsh? She have a, was that a Welsh accent all of a sudden? She has?
1: I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, maybe she's just not that good at accents. <laughs>
0: I mean, I guess we're thankful it wasn't Cockney. Uh, it's like another step in not plug you, Governor. You know,
1: <laughs> it's all Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> you are like, oh, what are you planning on doing? I,
0: I, I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> okay, so, so she fires. Yeah, Kirk tries to jump over together. She fires. Critian Co- slash Kodos jumps in front of her, and I love the effect on this because the blue beam hits him, and then splatters as if it was a ripe tomato. <laughs> Well, I also
1: love that like the uh, the visual effect for this is the phaser beam and the uh, the starburst effect, in it, which is a perfect circle of white dashes going straight out from, <laughs> from it. It's it's a you know what for the time it's a great effect. Like wow, did you see that? But now it's like whoa, that's I could do that with my iPhone. <laughs>
0: And so down goes Caridian slash Kodos and the entire theater uh, audience
1: stands up and starts applauding. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the best show I've seen all year. You know, and they're I all saying I thought around, I'd hate Shakespeare, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're all standing around looking at this, like, "What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> this makes no sense." <laughs> I know Shakespeare has a its own language, but. I don't know that I get this.
0: That's it. I'm not going to any experimental theater anymore. Right. To Spock was a, do a <laughs> like, just be thinking. Just be thinking. It was a soliloquy. Just be thinking. What was an audience participation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Lenora's is absolutely crazy now. She's, she's
0: completely unhinged and Kirk's like my lady and helps her up. <laughs> he helps her up and he's still holding the phaser. He took from her. Mm -hmm. And he helps her up with that hand with the phaser still. She just grabbed a freaking phaser off a guy's belt. I'm telling you, this is a Shatner thing,
1: right? This whole first season, every time Shatner's got a phaser in his hand, he does something that makes you realize (laughs) he does not handle firearms. He's just got no concept of the fact that that's supposed to be a gun in his hand. (laughs) It always bugs me when I see that on cop shows too. Like somebody's got a gun in their hand and they're like grabbing onto a suspect. And I'm like, no actual cop would do that. <laughs> that is a recipe for somebody's going to get shot by accident. Anyway. So, uh, so
0: our next scene is back on the bridge. And basically McCoy's coming up there to tell Jim, "Yeah, she's bonkers, but she'll get good healthcare." Yeah, right? Like eh, Starfleet says they'll take care of her. It's cool. And <laughs>
1: McCoy, so this this whole scene is again Kirk is such a schmuck. He's just such a jerk in this episode. Because McCoy's like, "You you really cared for her, don't you?" And Kirk is like, "Mister Spock said course." <laughs> <And> <laughs> McCoy's like, "Um, are, are we gonna talk about this?" And Kirk's like, "Mister Spock, um, make sure we warp out of here." Like and it just it's so like he just is like I'm
0: I'm not gonna even acknowledge you. <laughs> I like the fact that he tells, he tells uh, Leslie who's sitting in the home, you know, take us out of orbit. And Leslie's kind of like, I really, this isn't my state. I, you know what? Right. I saw what you, I saw how you were <laughs> treating Spock earlier. Sure. Captain <laughs> away we go,
1: sir. You know that I'm Leslie, not Riley. Right. <laughs> It's a red shirt. I don't usually, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. If I lay in the course, do I have to drink the milk? (laughs) I don't want to.
0: (laughs) And that ends our episode with McCoy being satisfied that since Jim Kirk could tell us to warp out of, out of orbit, he's going to be okay.
1: And he's really not
0: that hung up on that 19 year old young lady after all. Dear Lord. Don't we all feel better about that?
1: Well, that's the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> it was television <laughs> <laughs> at its it, um, 60s-ish I, I, don't yeah. I th- listen I, I, I think <sighs> this is not my favorite episode. Do I think you should watch it? Sure because everyone likes to complete a collection. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about the only reason I would say yes. Um, now, I will tell you, I've talked to some other folks as well, and uh, you're not the only one who likes this episode. I'm a huge of, of, of hammy
0: acting. I mean... Yeah. Oh,
1: then this is the episode for you, <laughs> man. My goodness, that, that stage had to just reek of pork. Oh, my God. <laughs> but... Hey, what are you going to do? Uh, they were trying to do something a little different. They were trying to reach outside of the comfort zone. Uh, I think they achieved that. Yes. Um, uh, I don't think it necessarily worked, but hey, more power to them for the experimentation. Experimenting is what, was one of the things that makes this whole franchise amazing. Um, and again, it's so, just a,
0: it, a interesting choice that here's a story that really could have been told in in almost any dramatic setting didn't have to be in science fiction, didn't have to be in star Trek. And I mean, you you could have wrapped a third of a guy's head and felt in any particular situation and it would have worked. That's true.
1: Ooh, what if it like
0: breathed
1: too? (laughs) Oh no! Anyway. So, uh, next, next time join us for
0: our look at balance of terror. Oh yeah. If you're going to have terror, I say keep it in balance. Yeah, well, it it is the first, uh, our first
1: viewing of Sarek, kind of.
0: Mark Leonard.
1: Yeah, it's, he's going to be playing the bad guys, which that kind of sucks, but he's
0: still awesome. So I don't care. Yeah, the whole, the whole episode. Very much looking forward to that. Plus, let's not forget, it's the return of the observation
1: deck. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Um, all right. So thank you very much. We also want to say thanks to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down for our intro and outro. Thank you. Make sure you check them out on their website, five year uh, where you'll find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each season.
0: That is so cool. Uh,
1: It is real cool. Uh, you can get stuff on their website, or you can also check them out on Apple Music
0: and Spotify as well. And please feel free to stop by and drop us a line. We are No Seatbelts on the Bridge on both Twitter and Facebook. And we invite you to visit our archive of free episodes covering all the TOS and TNG movies, as many as, as well as many of the episodes of the first season as we work through it, all at www.noseatbeltspod.com. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Keep on trekking. 2016 16